I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and I wouldn't normally be uh, allowing my co-host to introduce here, but uh, our good friend Tom Bionic is not with us uh, for this interview. He will be joining us remotely for the news segment at the end of this week, but he is in the last days of studying to take uh, his exams to be an actuary, actuarial exams, which, uh, if you're familiar with those, they're extremely challenging and difficult, uh, and... Uh, Brother Tom is studying feverishly for those, a very difficult mathematical type test. So please uh, give a prayer up for Brother Tom when you think about it. And uh, we sure miss him here. It's just not the same, not the same kind of zing without him there. But we sure have a lot of zing in our guests we have this week. We have a very special guest uh, who I guarantee will be interesting to you. He's someone who's visited us twice before, but he's got a new book out. Uh, and I'm talking about Dr. Patrick Heron who is the author of a number of books, uh, most known for uh, The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. And as I've said, a, a book that was just destined for coverage on Future Quake. But he's got a new book out uh, called The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And we're going to be talking this week uh, with an in-depth discussion of this book. I've just finished reading it. It's a pretty heavy read, um, a lot of deep theological ideas. Uh, this is not a lot of fluff in this book. This is not, uh, you know, rehashed information that other people have gone through and dressed up with a few little points. Uh, as you will see during this discussion, he starts from a clean slate uh, and starts over with an understanding of uh, understanding of the events in the Book of Revelation, and particularly the identity of the Antichrist and some of his cohorts. And um, You'll be surprised at some very interesting results that he finds. It'll be good fodder for your study, for discussion, debate, for consideration. But this is the kind of show where we like to bring people in who take a fresh look at Scripture, uh, who are independent in their willingness to look and just see what the Bible tells them and uh, stick with that and uh, share what their thoughts with us for us to consider. And this will be a classic case of that. I think you're really going to enjoy Patrick Heron. Many of you probably have heard him before. Uh, he's uh, a favorite guest on even Coast to Coast with George Norrie, and it's a real honor to have him come on our show. He's been very faithful to come to our humble show here at Future Quake, uh, even at times coming on in the middle of the night in uh, Ireland and coming on our show uh, to record what we've done back both when we had our original live show and now when we're pre-recorded. And uh, he's always been very generous to, to help those of us out there who are trying to get information, uh, new thoughts and ideas related to Bible prophecy and the Bible itself out. Uh, a number of people have found the Lord based upon his ministry and have come to a saving faith in Christ. And that's something we should always respect. Uh, you're going to find this discussion to be really challenging. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on. And even this week, we only scratched the surface of the depth of some issues he raises. So with no further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Patrick Heron, author of The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And then we'll be come back to talk about the theme of this show, which is New Revelations, from Revelation on the Antichrist and his identity. And we'll be back to discuss it here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and I would be normally introducing my co-host, Tom Bionic, but uh, 
He is away from us at the day of this recording. Uh, he is feverishly in his last days of preparing for his actuary exam and uh, is really sweating bullets right now and piled deep in mathematical equations right now. So we just send out our prayers and wishes to you, Tom Bionic. Miss you today because I know you would love to be with the guests we have today. Today we have Patrick Heron, who is the author of The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And we're going to talk about new revelations from Revelation on Antichrist and his identity. And I would like to welcome Dr. Patrick Heron to the Future Quake Show. Hi, Mike. How are you? Delighted to be with you again. And greetings to all your listeners from uh, Dublin, which is in the Emerald Isle. Mm. Well, you know, we have listeners all over the globe now. Uh, I used to say welcome to all of our listeners and Futurians under the polar ice caps and and in the remote parts of the world. But we have uh, have uh, identified listeners that are regular listeners in South Africa and Eastern Europe and Australia and and uh, plenty of them in your neck of the woods. So I know you've got plenty of Futurian fans out here that, that are uh, listening. Um, you know, since you're a veteran to the Future Quake experience here, uh, I'm going to save some time because we've got really a lot to talk about today. And I'm going to dispense with some of my uh, my normal requests I'd have for guests to give us a primer on your background and rather just direct our Futurian listeners to review our prior shows with you uh, that they can find in our Future Quake archive at futurequake.com. And I suggest they listen to those shows as well. Um, I, I will say, just as a summary on my behalf, that you were uh, saved at the age of 24, uh, and you're the author of books Apocalypse Soon, The Apocalypse Generation, and the international bestseller, and, and a book destined, uh, if there ever was one for Future Quake, called The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. Uh, you and your work were included in two documentaries for Grizzly Adams Productions, including Apocalypse in the End Times. And just recently, you wrote a new book we're going to be talking about today called The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And a summary of this book uh, in this work is in your chapter, The Coming Reign of Antichrist, which is part of the, a new book we've talked about here on our show called How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century. Uh, I might also mention that, uh, in, in my perception, you were a extremely important speaker at the legendary 2005 Ancient of Days Conference in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, those DVDs are available, and I, I recommend everybody get their hand on those DVDs. So, having said all that, and um, regarding your recent publication, uh, your new book that's out, what gave you the idea that now was the time for you to sharpen your pen again and to write a new book about the identity of the Antichrist? Um, just before I answer that, let me tell your listeners that if they want to check out this book, because it is an e-book, then they can get it on my website, www.neph.ie, and it's just $5 to download, because I want to make, make it accessible to everybody mm -hmm. uh, without money, money being a constraint. Well, Mike, the reason I did it was because I was reading a lot of stuff over the last couple of years on the Antichrist, and, and um, a lot of it didn't make much sense to me. So I wrote a series of articles that were published in, on a few uh, websites, including um, Raiders News Network, Tom Horns. And several people wrote to me and told me that I, I should turn it into a book, including Mr. Chuck Sellier, who is the president and CEO of Grizzly Adams Productions. So uh, I, I sat down and I was reading it again since Obama, President Obama has come to power. Um, a lot of people, I know a lot of evangelicals in America, Christian people, actually believe that he is the Antichrist. 
text and uh, so I decided to write a book, a thesis. I got to put, put together the articles that I'd written and I fleshed them out and I added in another 12 or so chapters. They're relatively short chapters too, most of them, uh, which makes them easy to read on, on the computer or you can print them off. And um, I decided to do a thesis on what the, the Bible says about this man we call the Antichrist. I decided not to look at Fox News or CNN, not to listen to any pastor or read any end times prophecy author or preacher or teacher regarding this guy, because a lot of them uh, have a lot of confusing and conflicting information. I decided to go to the Bible and allow the, the Word of God interpret itself for me with regard to as much as I could to do with this man we call the Antichrist. And the, the word Antichrist only appears in the New Testament four times in, in the epistles of, of John. And only twice is the words the Antichrist used. When you get to the book of Revelation, which details the activities of this man, this coming man, uh, he's never called the Antichrist. He is called by one name and one name early in there. He's called the beast from the abyss. That's mm -hmm. what he's called. In fact, the word the beast is used in the book of Revelation no less than 35 times. Now, how often have end times writers or teachers or preachers studied or talked about or taught on the beast from the abyss? Uh, uh, basically none. But, mm -hmm. you know, as I say in the introduction of my book, this is about to change. Right. In fact, to, get, to give him his full title, he's called the beast who ascends from the abyss having seven heads and ten, horn, ten horns. Mm -hmm. And uh, you never heard about this. So this is the first in-depth study of all aspects of the, of the man that John the Revelator terms the beast from the abyss. Okay. And in this book, uh, I will be documenting from Scripture, purely from Scripture, what his name is, where he comes from, where he is at the moment, when he will appear, what the seven heads are, what the ten horns represent, his association with the USA and prophecy, because the United States is all over Revelation chapter 17 and 18, in my opinion, and his demise and final doom. And you know, Mike, when we become Christians, uh, new, newborn babes in Christ, we are encouraged to uh, take the milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Well, this book is meat. It's very strong meat. And in this book, you'll be taken on an excursion, so to speak, behind the veil of the apocalypse to glimpse secrets that have been hidden from scholars mm -hmm. for centuries. And it is because we are in the end times now that these mysteries are being revealed. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's the basic introduction as to why I decided to write this book and mm -hmm. get it out there quick as an e-book now. Well, that's an excellent introduction to the, really the scope of the book. And I would just like to say as a recent reader of your book, uh, and having poured myself into it for the last two days. And the reason why it was that extensive for me, I've told you before I'm a slow reader, but uh, there was so much meat in, in this. Um, it contrasts itself so much from other prophecy books that are being published in that most of them regurgitate the same pablum over and over again. Not that the material wasn't good when it was first written maybe 20 years ago, but it's the same material with maybe one or two nuggets in the news thrown in, and they throw out a new book. Uh, and so what you've done is, is you've gone back to the fundamentals of Scripture and Scripture alone, and you've, you've tried and attempted to put together a coherent structure, even though it may sound a little different than what has evolved in the community of prophecy writers who will establish something and then people start piling on with the same ideas over and over again. You've started from a clean sheet of paper, and, and that, uh, that sheet of paper is the Word of God. So 
uh, I, I highly recommend our listeners uh, uh, the book just simply merely for that particular approach that you've taken. But, but one particular premise that's sort of overreaching in your different chapters that you have is that, as I understand it, you make clear in your writings that you subscribe to a pre-trib rapture framework of eschatology, which is, which is certainly probably the most common form of people who, who care really at all about end times. Uh, if that is the definitive chronology of end time events and as things pan out, uh, where Christians would actually be raptured prior to the reign of Antichrist, why would knowing his identity be important to them? Because uh, in this book and in all my books, I believe that not only are they for people to read in this day or time and for, for people to reach out to their friends, their family, their loved ones and, and uh, get them saved before this, these days fall upon us. But I, I'm also writing it as a legacy for those people who are going to go through the uh, time known as the apocalypse or the tribulation or the great tribulation or the day of wrath. Uh, so I'm thinking ahead, Mike. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to, very, very possibly people who are listening to this show are not listening to the show, more, more than likely, who are going to be uh, going through that time. And I wrote a chapter in there um, near the back of the book called The Unwise Virgins of Revelation. And this is my idea of what the uh, parable of the ten virgins means. Uh, and you, your listeners will, will remember it talks about the, the five wise virgins and the five unwise virgins. And they, the, the five wise virgins, they were all waiting for their bridegroom to come and to go to the marriage feast of the bridegroom. And then in the middle of the night, they got the call to go out. Your bridegroom has come. And the five virgins that had their lamps trimmed with oil had enough to go out. And the ones... The unwise virgins didn't have any oil, and they said, give us some of your oil so that we can go out to uh, meet the bridegroom and go to the marriage feast of the bridegroom. And they said, no, we can't do that, because if we do, we won't have enough to go out. You go to the people that sell oil and buy some oil, and then you will have enough to go out. So it says that they went to buy oil, but when they returned, the door was shut, and they missed the boat. The marriage feast was on. That, to me, is speaking about, number one, about the return of the bride groom who is jesus christ for his bride who is the church of god but the unwise virgins are going to be the people who during the apocalypse which is either three and a half years long or seven years long i don't know that's a very moot point and i don't know the, the definitive answer to it mm -hmm. but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to come to the lord jesus christ and to come to god and trust in god during this coming time mike and mm -hmm. i'll put it to you that like this you, you and all your listeners live in the united states of america and to a large degree a lot of people who live in america don't seem to know that anything else is going out on the in the world outside of what's happening in the united states of america because it's it's quite insular and your news programs are quite insular and everything is is designed to keep you focused on what's happening in the United States. But, well, Dr. Dr. Heron, I have to tell you, that we always tell our Futurian listeners here to, to turn off all that kind of stuff and just listen to Future Quake is their only source of information, to the Word of God for Truth and Future Quake. So hopefully our listeners are a slight bit better, but you're certainly right in what you say about all Americans in general. 
Well, 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 what I'm saying is, is and, and you're right, if you want to know what's going to happen in the world, you find it in the Word of God. Amen. That's why that's, this is the place to go when you, if you want to learn about the Antichrist. Amen. Not listening to what some pastor is saying or, or what the, the general mold is. Generally, the, if you're running with the flock, most of the time you're wrong. But let me just take the United States as, as an example. There's about, let's say there's 300 million people in the United States. You know, it's an incredible country insofar as it's a total paradox about half the country are sort of, you know, evangelical people who describe themselves as Christians, believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ, and the other half are into, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all the, the armaments, the drugs, the, the pornography, you know, the, you know, the stuff that comes out of Hollywood is just an incredible uh, and is a total variance with a huge population of the, of the United States. But a lot of the people who, do, who are not Christians in America, they know about stuff like what you call the rapture. Paul calls it the mm-hmm. gathering together of the saints. They know about salvation, but they just have not chosen to take that step to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But these people are going to be, and along with them, the, the, the rest of what I call Christendom, for instance, the, the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of England, uh, the, the, you know, and many of these so-called Christian churches, that are merely uh, nominal Christian churches. They're Christian, like the Roman Catholic Church that I grew up in in Ireland here, for instance. There's about 5 million Roman Catholics in Ireland. None of them have any idea about Jesus Christ, about getting saved, about mm-hmm. the second coming, about anything of these things. In fact, right. when I talk to these and I tell them I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus and the second coming, they're looking at me as if I have two heads. Right. You know, and I, can, I, I know exactly from reading their eyes what they're thinking in their mind. They think I'm a nut. So, you know... There's a lot of people. Anyway, to get back to my point, the unwise virgins of, of Revelation are going to be a huge amount of people who turn to Jesus Christ and God after the gathering together of the church. Right? Now, if we could just flesh that out a bit, and I'm glad you're starting off with this because it's, it's a very interesting uh, uh, topic, and, and I'd love to do more debates on it. Basically, I believe that the Word of God is inerrant. It cannot make a mistake. It cannot contradict itself. Jesus Christ said, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And a jot or a tittle was the smallest stroke of a pen in Hebrew or in Greek, like a, a comma or a, a, a period, a full stop. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm reminded, uh, and I, I go out of my way to point out at the beginning of, of my, my book on the Antichrist, that, you know, you remember the time where Jesus Christ stood up in the... Uh, in the, in the synagogue to read on the, on the Sabbath. And he opened up Isaiah, and he began to read Isaiah, uh, to, talking about, you know, when the um, Messiah was going to come to heal the brokenhearted, you know, to give sight to the blind, etc., etc. And he said, and to, and to, I can't remember the, the, the exact last expression now. Can you remember? And he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's right. That's right. And, he, and then he sat down. Mm-hmm. And now if you go around to, and read the original quote back in Isaiah, the next phrase says, and to fulfill the acceptable day of the Lord. Right. Now, the acceptable day of the Lord is still future. Mm-hmm. The day of the Lord is equal to the day of wrath, or the day of tribulation, or the day of vengeance, or the Lord's day, or the day of his burning anger, or the great and terrible day of the Lord, the cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, or the day of Jacob's trouble. Mm-hmm. They're different names for the apocalypse, the the time of tribulation, the great tribulation, the day of wrath, the day of Christ. Different names. But the point is is that he stopped in the middle of a sentence and sat down. If he had continued on to, and, and the acceptable day of the Lord, he would have been wrongly dividing the word and, and your whole Bible would, would fall apart. The point is is it's deadly arc- accurate. 
mm-hmm. piercing, piercing even to the deciding, uh, you know, of, of your, the thoughts from your, of your heart and bone from a marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's razor sharp. It cannot contradict itself. So therefore, when it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 9 that we are saved from the wrath to come, or in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 where it says we are to wait uh, for his Son from heaven who has delivered us from the wrath to come, or in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 where we are told we are not appointed to wrath. Mm-hmm. The church of God, the body of Christ, it's not, it's not for us. We are a special, unique church that was hidden in God before the foundation of the world. Nobody knew anything about this until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul that we would be fellow heirs and joint heirs with him uh, and part of the body of Christ and, and, you know, all that whole thing about the mystery of the church. Mm -hmm. So we're a special thing. So so it's not us. When it talks about uh, people uh, going through the apocalypse, it's referring to this, what I call the unwise versions of Revelation. Mm Now, I know a lot of people, and and I've had this over the years, this debate, scores and scores of times. When I will, for instance, somebody will write to me and say, well, we are going through it. And and I'll say, well, what about Romans 5, 9, where it says we're saved from the wrath to come, or we're delivered from the wrath to come. And they'll say, well, true Christians, and I had this just recently Mm -hmm. from a man, true Christians will be delivered through the wrath to come. Now, one of the things I did, Mike, when I was preparing to, to finish up this book, was I actually sat down and I copied out the whole book of Revelation longhand with a pen and paper. Uh-huh. Because I find if you write things out, very often you'll see things in there, which, you know, if you're right. reading it, might go in, in one ear and out the other. Right. And I, I, so I copied out the whole of the book of Revelation, which is a pretty easy thing to do. It's only 21 or 22 chapters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in it, one of the things that I saw in there was that these people who are going to believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation are going to go through a ferocious, bloody, torturous slaughter time. Mm -hmm. And let me just give you a couple of the verses that I gleaned in in writing out Revelation. Revelation 17, 6. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Revelation 24. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. Revelation 13.10 If any is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. Revelation 13.15 He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, Mm -hmm. so that it would speak and cause all who refused to worship of the image to be killed. Mm -hmm. Revelation 18.24 In horror was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints. Dr. So, Aaron, Dr. Aaron, I hate to interrupt you here. Uh, I know we've got a lot of questions we need to talk about, but I want to ask you something real quick re- related to where you're going with this. Sure. Um, be, be, but I don't want us to really get bogged down because there's so much media material uh, that you have here in this. Uh, we, we have some scholars that have come on our show and would say that um, may, maybe it would be a middle ground. They would say those passages that you referred to about wrath, about us not being a point of wrath, in the context of those passages we're referring to the wrath of God, that the wrath of God has already been appeased through the cross, but we are still going to be subject to the wrath of Satan. And in fact, the church throughout history has been subject to the wrath of Satan, uh, whether it be in the early days of the church or the last days of the church. And they make a distinguishment, say, opposed to the post-tribbers who say they go through the, the whole bit. They distinguish between the wrath of God versus the wrath of men. Do you see that there's any opportunity for 
such middle grounds between the two? No, because obviously Christians have gone through fierce tribulation since day one after Pentecost. And with Nero, you know, they thought he was the Antichrist at the time. All the way down through history, even present day Christians are being, some dark Christians I've no doubt been killed for their faith somewhere in the world. So it can't be talking about that tribulation or that wrath. They're, they're, for those guys, then they were going through certainly a lot of tribulation and a lot of wrath. So the wrath that we're saved from is a particular period of time. Now, there are three wraths mentioned in the book of Revelation. The wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, and the wrath of the devil. So which one, you know, take your pick. When people try and distinguish to me that, say, there's a difference between the tribulation and the great tribulation, I just don't see it. If you go back into the Old Testament, many of the times this period of time is referred to as the day of wrath, the great day of the Lord, the cruel day with wrath and fierce anger. It's all referring to the same period of time. Mm-hmm. So when, and, and when you get into Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and talking about the, fall, the gathering together of the church and the day of the Lord and our gathering together unto him, which you, you mentioned to me in an email, uh, and the falling, what you know, a lot of people call the falling away. Right. Just, that all fits in. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And it just doesn't sound the same without saying, and Tom Bionic. Um, I almost even miss hearing him say his uh, ever-changing middle name. Uh, don't Please don't tell uh, him I said that. But uh, uh, we miss you out here, buddy. We know you're studying hard, and uh, just not the same without your repartee here. But we do have Pyro joining us, so he's not had too much to say about this interview here in the studio itself. I hope you enjoyed. This is really just a warm-up segment. sort of gets us uh, in-depth with uh, understanding that the context that uh, Dr. Heron is going to talk about. Uh, he'll go further into that in the next segment we have. It's a little bit longer segment. The remaining segments are quite a bit longer. But uh, uh, he, he brings forward his points from a pre-trib position, which is probably the predominant position of most guests we have there, here. On future quake, although we know we certainly have a diversity of opinions in that front, but we're going to have some pretty in-depth discussions, theological ones, about the ramifications of his findings and uh, how does it fit and comport with other parts of the Bible, which is just the kind of discourses that Christians, in an atmosphere of mutual respect, should have. And I hope you enjoy that. I hope you grab your Bibles uh, for the rest of the discussion and uh, look in there and see what you find in the Bible. Maybe you can add some emails to us and let us know what you think. And in fact, the way you can do that uh, is uh, going to be told to you by Merv. So Merv, come in and tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Well, again, just out of my groove here with, with Tom, but... Uh, let me just say a quick prayer for him before we go. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Brother Tom studying right now. I pray you would inspire him, help him to succeed in this endeavor, and come back with us soon. We look forward to having him here with our new segment. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, again, just hang with us. It's going to get deeper and deeper as we go the rest of the week. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. 
Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And if you didn't enjoy, uh, join us yesterday on Future Quake, uh, you will uh, may not know that uh, Tom Bionic, our co-host here, is not going to be with us for the interview time this week. He'll be calling in remotely Friday for our new segment. So uh, I'm going solo uh, this week also, though I have Paro in studio with me here. But we've been talking with Dr. Patrick Heron, who is the author of The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And we're talking about the topic of new revelations from Revelation, the book of Revelation, on the Antichrist and his identity. And uh, it's, it is a show for people who love Bible prophecy and love to have some fresh thinking, to think out of the box, to look at scriptures in a completely different way, but be focused on God's word. That's the kind of discourse we're having this week. We hope you really enjoy it. We're going to start right off this next segment with some deep theological discussions about a key uh, text about the second coming of the Lord and just keep on from there and uh, you'll find a number of very interesting concepts that will be talked in this and we look forward to hearing what you think about it in the emails but no further ado here is Dr. Patrick Heron talking about new revelations from Revelation on the Antichrist's identity and we'll be back right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Can I ask you about that, Dr. Uh, Dr. Aaron, because that, that sort of naturally goes in. And, and, again, I don't want us to dwell too long on this because uh, there's, there's, again, so much meat you have in this. And, and I just want to make it clear to our listeners as well as yourself that the kind of questions we're asking here are because what you have written is such a novel and unique way. Even though you've gone just directly to scriptures and you piece by piece have tried to put it together from the scriptures of how you see things, but it has led to so many uh, novel and unique assertions that I think a lot of our listeners, their jaws are going to drop when they read it, and they're going to ask a lot of questions based upon what they've understood up to now. And so I'm trying to ask, ask some of these questions that they might ask. So you have an opportunity to respond to them. They might not have that liberty, although I know you've been very kind about responding to emails of readers and things like this. But uh, related to, to the subject you just brought up in Second Thessalonians chapter 2-3, and you have a whole chapter on it in your book, uh, where it talks about, and I'm paraphrasing here, that that day, uh, referring previously to the day of the Lord or the, the gathering, will not come except there come a falling away first and that this man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, and you explained that the words falling away in there, uh, or apostasia, I believe, uh, are often misunderstood, but that you understand them and you explain why in your book that they represent the rapture of the church or a type of geographical departure, uh, you know, away from this earth versus just a merely theological departure. Uh, and, uh, I had tried to do some some research on this just very lightly, certainly not to the degree you have, but uh, it, I looked at the, the, the use of the word, and I believe it's used actually in Acts 21-21 and, and some Old Testament references that were written in Greek and the Septuagint on it, and they all seem to refer to the theological deviation instead. And when I was looking at some other sources of the classical and uh, patristic Greek it seems like they really emphasized this ideological removal in that era in which the Bible was written up until about the 5th or 6th century when they began to use it in the context of a geographical uh, removal. And, and one of the things I found interesting was Dr. John Walvoord, a late, uh, uh, I guess you called a premier scholar uh, in pre-tribulationism, actually 
decided later in his early writings he supported this as a rapture text and later changed his mind. So he had actually said that it really didn't support rapture per se. Was in the late 80s, I think he wrote that. And the only reason I'm bringing this up was that if it was feasible, now this doesn't argue whether pre-trib is true or not. It has nothing to do with it. It's just talking about one text. But but if, if there's some question on whether this actually is talking about a rapture happening first, is it feasible that Christians might see the man of sin revealed and thus even be more relevant to a larger audience about what you write in your book? Well, I don't believe that arrives, Mike, uh, because I don't be- believe I'm wrongly dividing the word in Second Thessalonians with regard to the falling away. Now, 98% of prophecy teachers preach that this is falling away comes from the Greek word apostasia, from which has been transliterated in- into the English the word apostasy, which means a sort of a turning away from the truth. You know, that's all very fine. But that's not what ha- what's happening in the world. And they say there's going to be a great falling away from the word of God in these the last days. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not happening. In fact, quite the opposite is happening. If you go down to South America, there's huge revival going on mm-hmm. in Brazil, Colombia, Honduras, other countries down there. You go to Africa, huge revival going on, thousands and thousands. You know, there's one German man over there and he would get sometimes a million people at, at his sermons and hundreds of thousands of people were getting saved. Apparently in China, when Mao Zedong took over, there was about a million evangelical Christians in China. Now we hear there's 80 million. They're, they're doing signs, miracles, and work wonders right. over there because right. they've so little they have to work out in their faith. The same in India, the same in other parts of Asia. There's huge Christian uh, outreach in America, even though it's a paradox, like I said. Uh, there's a hu- huge amount of Christians there. The only place that is spiritually sort of dead in the world is Europe. So well, don't forget the United States. Don't leave us out of there too. Well, I think there, I think you know every time I get into I was in America eight times within a three-year period uh, in the last few years. Every time I get into a car in Idaho, in New Mexico, or in Virginia or Pennsylvania and switched on the radio, I flick around and I can get two or three guys teaching fantastic Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know there is there is great amount millions and millions of people who believe in Jesus Christ in the, in the United States of America. So what I think is happening in this, these last days is what. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this is like that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on all people. Your young men will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. So rather than there being an apostasy, the opposite is happening. There's a huge outpouring of the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. The point is, that whole context of chapter 2, you've got to read the whole whole sort of... uh, context down to verses about 13 or 14 and the falling away in the greek is apostasia and apo as depicted by e.w bullinger in his companion bible in the appendices is is signified what because greek is a very very mathematical language just like hebrew apo is means going away if you drew a circle and put your pen in the middle of it and drew a line from the center of the circle going in an outward direction. That's literally what that means. It, it, the first two Bibles that were printed, I think, was the Wycliffe Bible and another one. They translated this as the departure, that this day cannot happen, the day of the Lord cannot happen, until there first comes a departure. Then the man of sin is revealed. And when you read that down, you say, now you know what's withholding him that he may, may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who, who lets or holds him in his place will hold him there until something is taken out of the way. Then when some, 
thing is taken out of the way, then the man of sin is revealed. And the mm. thing that's holding him where he is now, which is what we're going to be talking to, and preventing him from coming on the world stage is the, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit in the church of God, in the body of Christ on the earth at this moment. Mm-hmm. We are the light of the world. We are the light of God. Wherever we are, you know, there is light. But when we're taken out, all the light is gone. That's when darkness is going to ensue, and that's when this guy is going to be uh, revealed. And by the way, just to finish on that, in, in Luke 21, which is the only other place in the New Testament where apostea is used, it, it's tr- translated to forsake. You know, you teach the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, mm-hmm. saying that they ought to, not to circumcise their children. Now, you can, we can get caught up in semantics, but if I forsake you, or if, or if your wife, wife forsakes you, Mike, you know what she's going to do? She's heading out the door. <laughs> you know, that's what she's doing. She's departing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to spend a whole lot sure. of time on it. The right. point I'm making out is, is that the Christians that are going to believe during the apocalypse are going to be slaughtered, they're going to be tortured, they're going to be murdered, they're going to be hunted down, they're going to be destroyed, they're going to be beheaded, they're going to go through a terrible, terrible time. The people who bore testimony to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Christians are not saved from the wrath to come. The only ones that are saved from the wrath to come are us who are in the body of Christ and the Church of God at this present time. Well, I'm glad I gave an opportunity for you to comment on it because I didn't want people to get get hung up on that when they're reading the book. And, and the reason that it even raised a thought with me was that in, in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, the chapter before that, it talks about the people they are going through great tribulation already at the time. And the indication, as I understood the passage, was that uh, because they believed in a pre-trib rapture, they were afraid that they had missed it because they were undergoing tribulation and they thought the day of the Lord had come and that Paul was setting the record straight by saying, no, you still may undergo tribulation, but the day of the Lord is not here. So uh, that that was uh, just sort of my understanding of things to discuss it. But we'll leave with our listeners. That they need to get the book and read it and uh, form their own opinions. But, well, now, but they, they, they also might, uh, very quickly, uh, there was Christians going around preaching in those days that we were going through the wrath and you had to go through the wrath. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says in verse 2 of Second Thessalonians 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, that we're going through it. And don't believe any spirit or any man or anybody else, you know, that that, that, that we're going to go through it. Mm-hmm. Because, and then he goes on to explain why we cannot go through it, mm-hmm. that something else has to happen first, and that is the departure. Then, you know. And by the way, I, I had, I've had women, people writing to me. One woman wrote, read, wrote to me, and she said that when she read about the, the parable of the unwise virgins and the virgins that she cried, because she said she believed of her lifestyle that she was going to be left behind. She was mm-hmm. going to be one of right. the unwise virgins. Another w- woman wrote to me about two, two weeks ago, just to finish up on this topic, Mike. And she said that she'd been reading a lot of stuff by people, Christians, saying that we have to go through the tribulation. And this, her words, she said, my spirit was crushed. And she said, after reading your book, I'm, I'm so blessed and so thankful. And, you know, and she was just over the moon at the fact that you know, the Word of God had cleared up mm-hmm. her, her understanding of that whole section. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we are saved from the wrath to come. And if, we're, if, we're, if that's a lie, then Jesus Christ is telling lies. Because Paul said that he wrote everything by revelation from Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. three times he tells us we're rescued from the wrath to come, we're not appointed to wrath, and we're saved from the coming wrath. Whereas, according to Revelation, Christians who go through that time are in for a terrible, bloody time, mm-hmm. a hard time. And I've some... I've some uh, um, 
quotes in there from Isaiah speaking what's going to happen to Christians, and I, I wouldn't even repeat them over the air because they're very, very, very hard-hitting. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's go. Let's but, go get but, on something else. Dr. Heron, I just want to tell you, that's one thing I appreciate about you is that your own, you're your own man when it comes to uh, reading the Bible and coming to your own conclusions, regardless of what anybody else may say or do. You just sort of lay it out there the way you see it. And... Uh, uh, I think that's constructive, uh, you know, when we have that to review these passages. Let's move on to talk about something. How about talking about some fallen angels in an abyss? Uh, well, this is the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> this is what my book is about, right? <laughs> a, a common a common theme on future quake as well, too. Our Futurians will be much more comfortable with uh, these kind of topics. Uh, you know, some of the people who will read your book uh, and have read on some some other sources about this, may find it hard to believe that if actual beings are stored literally geographically beneath the earth, um, as you teach and as others teach, the fallen angels mentioned in Jude are currently residing in darkness, literally you know, below our feet, um, that we would maybe have had some kind of seismic or some other kind of evidence of the presence of some kind of chamber or, or place like this by now. Uh, is it also p- possible... That, the, that there could be a portal between their world and ours that has some kind of interdimensional component that would be referred to as far as its dimensional state, higher or lower, like heaven versus hell, is possibly, uh, you know, between here and heaven. Uh, some people maybe easier see that as sort of interdimensional between heaven and here, and even looking at, at Jesus' glorified body moving through walls and things is another indication of it. And with the appearance of smoke that we always see, when either infernal creatures come out or even when God shows up and heavenly beings being associated with opening of dimensional portals and, and has even been reported in recent years when when these other seances and spiritualistic events occur and people say that they've witnessed apparitions where they actually see these kind of smoke and clouds appear when things like this occur. Is, that, is there any room to consider an inter, interdimensional component in addition to the geographical? Um, I don't know, Mike. That's too esoteric for me. I, I'm just <laughs> okay. a Bible man. I just read what's on the, the page, and I try to understand the very simple plainness of the truth of it. And uh, we might be jumping the gun a little bit here for some of your listeners. As I, I said at the beginning, the name, the full name for the Antichrist is the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we need to flesh out what that is. You've already more or less covered it insofar as is that the fallen angels who fell to earth, the sons of God, uh, who, who descended on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared, and were told according to the book of Enoch that there was 200 of these guys. And by the way, in the book of Jude, Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he was one of the sons of Mary mm-hmm. and Joseph, he directs, he uh, quotes directly from the book of Jude, and there are several other, or from the book of Enoch, excuse me, and there are several other passages in the book of Enoch that pop up all over the New Testament. So the book of Enoch can teach us a lot on this thing. You know, I know it's not in the canon of Scripture, but it was in the canon of Scripture for, for over 500 years. Mm-hmm. So he says there was 200 of these fallen angels, sons of God, they're called in Genesis 6-1, who dis- manifested on the earth in the days of, of uh, Jared and descended on Mount Hermon. They, they married ordinary women, took them to wife, and had sex with them. And, and these women produced offspring for, which were giants. These guys, according to my studies, were knocking around for about uh, a thousand years prior to the flood of Noah. And this would answer a lot of the questions with regard to ancient monuments that populate the globe all over the world today, from the pyramids to Nazca to Peru to Angerwat to 
Stonehenge in England, Newgrange in Ireland, etc., etc. Now, it said by the time of the flood, by the time Noah had the ark built, it says there was only evil in man's heart continually, and there was so much evil and violence and bloodshed and bloodshed on the earth that God said, I've had enough of this, and he sent the, the flood to wipe out the whole of the human race at that time because it says there was only one family, which was Noah and his family, were pure in their generations. That means their DNA was not infected or affected by the D DNA of these fallen angels and the evil that they perpetrated. So the flood came, drowned everybody, dr drowned the whole of the human race, drowned all, all of the offspring of these fallen angels, which were the giants, but you can't drown spirit men. So we're told that these spirit men are locked up in the subterranean prison, which is called... Uh, the pit or the bottomless pit or Tartarus. Now, when I say spirit men, that's what angels are. You and I, Mike, are flesh and blood. By the way, call me Patrick, will you, or Paddy? Okay. <laughs> Please. And, and uh, we're flesh and blood, but these guys are spirit beings. That's what angels are. They're spirits. Nevertheless, they are when they appear in the Bible, they're always described as men. They look like men. They wear clothes. They've been mistaken as men. They eat, they drink, and some of them, these guys that manifested in the earth, were able to have sexual relations with human women. But they're spirit men, nevertheless. Maybe that's why it says three or four times in Genesis, let us make man in our image. In the image of God made he man. So we look like them, they look like us. And you cannot drown these guys because they're spirit beings. They're not constrained by the ordinary laws of physics as you and I are. That's why they can disappear in and out through walls or flit between here and heaven mm -hmm. in the blink of an eye. And we're told that these guys are locked up in a place called, in Greek, Abyssus, which means the abyss, or the bottomless pit. And we're told in Peter and in Jude that Jesus Christ went and visited. It says he preached to the spirits who caused the sins in the days of Noah. He went and appeared to these guys in his risen body. When he got a new spiritual body, which allowed him to disappear in and out through walls and do things like that. And he went and visited these, to these guys. And we're told in... in Ephesians, you know, when it talks about him ascending into heaven, it says, what is it first but that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, this is not talking about his burial, because when he was buried, he was stuck in a tomb, which, you know, was probably on level ground. Right. But it says he, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he went down there, and he appeared to these spirits, these spirit men, fallen angels, and he said, I'm up from the dead. You know, all your plans have come to naught, and, you know, I'll be back or words to that effect. And he, it said he preached to them, which means he heralded his triumph over them. That doesn't mean he actually tried to get them saved, because these guys are irredeemable. They're mm -hmm. pure evil. That preach there is a caruso in Greek, which means it's the same word that would be used, of, for instance, a, uh, a Roman general returning from a foreign campaign and displaying the slaves and his captives and mm -hmm. the treasures before the citizens of Rome. He heralded his triumph over them. And that's what Jesus Christ did to these guys who are in the heart of the earth. They're down there under our feet somewhere. And that's why it says in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, it says, A star fell from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. Now this star, again, is a metaphor for an angel. And he's got a key to the bottomless pit. And it says he opened the bottomless pit. This is verse 2 of Revelation 9. And there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And out of the pit then came locusts, uh, which were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And those locusts and scorpions are metaphors for these spirit men. So they literally come out of a literal pit in a literal ground, and there's a literal smoke comes out of it, which darkens 
the 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 uh, sun and the air by reason of the smoke of the pit. So I have a funny feeling that the world is going to be enveloped in smoke for maybe a couple or three days when all this happens, and that when the smoke clears, these guys are going to be there. So this guy, these 200 fallen angels are released onto the earth again, and in chapter 9, verse 11, it gives us the name of the leader, of who is the beast from who ascends out of the bottomless pit, having seven heads and ten horns. So I'm going to give you the name of the Antichrist right here. And it says, And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in Greek is Apollyon. Now, Abaddon and Apollyon both mean the destroyer, right? That's what mm -hmm. it means, the destroyer. But Apollyon is nothing more than, than how the Greeks spell Apollo. And Apollo, as you and I would remember, was one of the main leaders of the original pantheon of Greek gods, along with Mars, Saturn, Pluto, Mercury, Zeus, Poseidon, Jupiter, Sirius... Uh, Venus, Athena, Orion, and such like. So the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit is the king. He's the king over these fallen angels, and his name is Apollo. So the beast from the abyss, who goes on to become what we call the Antichrist, but he's called the beast 35 times in the book of Revelation, is none other than a fallen angel who was one of the gods, small g, of Greek and Roman mythology and Egyptian mythology, who reigned on the earth, a thousand years prior to the flood of Noah, and whose name was Apollo. Apollo has his main oracle at Delphi in Greece. It's an incredible site. If you look at, at pictures of it, you can see them on the Internet. His oracle was there. People used to go there for, to hear prophecies. He was the god of music, the god of poetry. Uh, apparently, he was an absolutely the epitome of the beauty of man. Uh, Patty, so, Patty, if yes? I can ask you, um, uh, by the way, we had a... Um, a show on a few weeks ago that I think you would probably enjoy listening to by a researcher by the name of uh, Judd Burton who has been doing archaeological digs. He's a theologian at the foot of Mount Hermon, which, as you know, plays a very important role in the Book of Enoch, uh, near yeah. the Grotto of Pan. And um, there were some indications there that connect uh, possibly this as the burial place of either Azazel or Azazel, how you, uh, however you pronounce that, one of the ringleaders of, of leading these fallen angels, as we understand in the book of Enoch, and also may have, in fact, been the place that Jesus founded his church uh, and a place in which he transfigured himself and showed himself in full power and glory, uh, which would be very ironic that he would, he would declare that the church would prevail over the gates of hell, right over where this particular creature may be bound. But I'm, I'm confused. Is this a pseudonym for this Hebrew name, Azazel or Azazel, or are they two different people? Can you clarify No, I, that? I, I, I think they're absolutely the same guy. Okay. Uh, Azazel, that's the way I pronounce it, mm -hmm. it sounds very like Apollyon or Abaddon. And right. he's given a, in the book of Enoch as the leader of these of these guys that are locked up. And by the way, na, excuse me, by the way, Azazel, the name crops up in um, one of the Old Testament books. Mm -hmm. is, is Leviticus chapter 16 or 17. It appears there twice or three times where it's translated as scapegoat. When right. it talks about them sending the scapegoat out into the country, that scapegoat in the original Hebrew is Azazel. It's a proper name, and it should have been translated as scapegoat. And as Whereas I understand, as they're, as they're, said, they're, sending, they're sending that, that goat to him 
as I understand that passage, you're sending him, and he actually was pushed off a cliff, as I understand the potential to, to actually send that as sort of to a type of an abyss where he would be. Well, I, I'll have to go back and read it again, but the, the point is is that the name Azazel crops up either twice or three times in Leviticus mm-hmm, 16 right. or 17, and which again copper fastens the Book of Enoch, which tells us that this Azazel was the leader of the leaders of the 20 fallen angels. Azazel, Abaddon, Apollyon, I'm sure it's the same guy. Okay, okay. All right, uh, and we're in a few minutes we're going to talk about how you actually populate the, the, the whole pantheon for lack of a better word of the people the horns the the heads all these ones who are in in revelation you give a, a reason why there's the number that's there we're back at future quake with dr future uh sans tom bionic and his changing middle names uh but we just had a very interesting segment uh which really had some real food for thought uh with patrick heron talking about uh, some of his findings in scripture and in the book of revelation about the identity of the Antichrist and his other cohorts, his partners in crime, that we see throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, hopefully that gives you uh, much to chew on and will entice you to go over there and get his ebook and uh, look at it for yourself, uh, see what parts of it you can embrace, maybe all of it. Or there's going to be at least some things in there that you're going to find to be uh, very useful and intriguing. Uh, of which only a small part of them we're covering this week on Future Quake. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 about the uh, potential whether a rapture is referred to in that passage or not. And uh, that's certainly not a uh, key passage to decide whether pre-trib is right or post-trib or pre-wrath or whatever. Uh, it really pertains to whether that passage refers to it. But what it does do, and the importance of it, is to determine whether uh, it's possible any of us might see the Antichrist and see him in any form, veiled or unveiled. And so it's very interesting to get a handle on that. Uh, I would suggest to our listeners that they keep an open mind on that, uh, one way or the other, uh, because we do see through a mirror darkly, and uh, just be prepared. Uh, we I don't think we should spend a lot of our time uh, pointing out individuals, like Dr. Heron says, and uh, making them out to be the boogeyman that's the uh, the Antichrist right now. But the Bible does tell us to watch and be watchful. So I would suggest that uh, you keep your possibilities open with this respect. But educate yourself. Study the arguments on all sides. Uh, and uh, we, we had a little bit of a primer on his general premise. And we're going to look at some of the ramifications about his very detailed uh, understanding of who the players are, uh, how they're accounted for in the book of Enoch and elsewhere. And he gets down to finite numbers on this. It's going to make for some fascinating discussion. But someone else who's fascinating is Merv, who could tell you how to contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Well, that's the end of the road for us. we got to go. Uh, we've got two long segments in the next two days. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to the Future Quick Show. I am Dr. Future, uh, joining you solo uh, without Tom Bionic this week. But we have, as a guest this week, P- Dr. Patrick Heron, who is the author of The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order. And we're talking about new revelations from Revelation, the book of Revelation, on the Antichrist and his identity. And it's a fascinating and compelling uh, set of findings that Dr. Heron has. I hope you've been able to follow it this week. You can always get it at futurequake.com if you've missed any of the segments. But uh, with no further ado, here is Dr. Patrick Heron in our next installment of discussion. And we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. In identifying this person, Apollo or Apollyon, uh, as what many would call the Antichrist or the beast out of the abyss, uh, who has uh, seven heads and ten horns, uh, if I recommend, or remember from your book, you said that he'll actually be seen as the Messiah by the Jews and that you, you speculate that possibly the false prophet would be viewed by Islam as possibly their Imam Mahdi. And one of the things I was confused about was I thought that within Shia Muslim uh, belief that, that, the, that Jesus, who they thought would be this Messiah Jesus, was actually a subservient servant to the Imam rather than the the false prophet in being a supporting role to the to the antichrist can you comment on that a little bit or yeah well that? obviously it's very interesting that there actually are prophecies in the quran in muslim prophecy regarding the end times uh in the in the book of revelation it says there's going to be two main men the antichrist and his sidekick the false prophet in the muslim prophecies there's going to be two main men the mama the imam or the mahdi the 12 mahdi or 12th Imam, or the Mahdi, and his sidekick, who they say is going to be Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, their prophecies are not going to say that our, our Imam, or our Mahdi, is going to be second playing second fiddle to the Jew, to Jesus Christ. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to say that. But the interesting thing that I find in the, in the fact, number one, that there is Muslim prophecies, and number two, that they parallel the book of Revelation, is, is that according to Muhammad, who wrote down these prophecies, he said they were dictated to him by a bright shining angel. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll remember in uh, Corinthians chapter 11, it describes Satan as being an angel of light. And it says it's no wonder that his ministers appear as ministers of righteousness. You'll also remember the time when the devil was tempting Jesus Christ and he brought him up onto the pinnacle. He levitated mm-hmm. him up onto the tip of the pinnacle mm-hmm. and he showed him all the glories of the world in a moment of time. And then he, tr- he told him, go on, throw yourself off here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So the devil was able to quote an obscure verse in the middle of the psalm somewhere, verbatim to Jesus Christ, in order to try and tempt him. The point is, is the devil knows scripture, Mike, better than you or I do, or any of your listeners out there. He knows what the book of Revelation says since John wrote it back in the 80 or 90 AD. So when he, or the, this bright shining angel, quoted the prophecies to their servant Muhammad, he's going to obviously make it look and parallel with the prophecies in the book of Revelation, where there's two main men, the, mm-hmm. the, the Antichrist and his sidekick. But obviously, he's going to juxtapose them because he doesn't want the Muslims to think that they're going to be playing second fiddle to a, a, a Jewish Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what I speculate in my book is is that the Antichrist is just that. He's, anti is not, doesn't always mean against. It can also mean in the stead of. He's coming in the stead of Christ. Many are going to come in my name. 
Jesus Christ said. But there's going to be a special one who's going to say, I am the Christ. And, and Jesus also said in John 5, I came in my Father's name and you reject me. Another will come in his own name, him you will accept. So when this guy comes, he's coming in the stead of Christ. He's not coming in the stead of Maddie or in the stead of the twelfth imam. He's coming in the stead of Jesus Christ. That's going to make him acceptable to the Jews, who are still waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. And it's also going to make him acceptable to the whole of what I call Christendom, mm -hmm. who are going to be here when he... he that this is all these people who talk about Jesus Christ and who cast out uh, you know, devils in his name and pray in his name and perform miracles. But at the end, he says, I never knew you. People right. who use the name, like... For instance, the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I know that there's a lot of Roman Catholics in the, in the States who are actually Christians, but that doesn't apply outside America. Everywhere else, most of them, they just don't have a clue, and in Christendom. So that's who I believe this guy is going to be. He's going to present mm -hmm. himself as Christ. That's mm -hmm. why he's called in the stead of Christ. He's the Messiah. And yeah. also, now I, I, I speculate this on my book, but it does talk in the book of Daniel about a, a ram rising up with two horns. Mm -hmm. And this is the beast that rises up also with two horns, which is, is another fallen angel with another two other sidekicks behind them. And it talks about a he-boat, a he-boat, a he-goat coming from the west mm -hmm. whose feet never touch the ground. Right. And he flies into this ram and he subdues him and knocks him over. I think this is the Antichrist uh, confronting possibly the Muslim Mahdi when he arrives and kicking his butt as it were to get him on side <laughs> and doing enough to get him on side now I'm speculating a little bit there sure. but uh, uh, reading the book of Daniel and putting together uh, mm. the rest of the prophecies that's what I think is going on there so that's why I think the, prof the, the false prophet may very well be this Mahdi or this Imam who was supposed to have disappeared into a well hundreds of years ago but is going to emerge mm. in the last days and lead Islam to a series of victorious battles over her enemies and established Islam as the world religion. Well, you know, it's interesting you, you raised this uh, about the Imam Mahdi because in my own personal uh, research, I had associated him more with the character of Gog in the Bible and that uh, his, his reign, his area, what, what they report on the websites about what he does was more in line with what I thought was Gog. But I think in any case, it's something that's worthy for our listeners to continue to watch and do more research on and see as the Bible illuminates uh, if there's some role, again, for this imam. I, I have a question about what, what you just said about the uh, Apollyon uh, coming forth, the beast out of the abyss, that is going to be an antichri antichrist in the sense as a substitute for Christ uh, and also being perceived as a savior to the Jews uh, and others. If the antichrist that we understand to be this charismatic leader and commonly in the vernacular of Christendom uh, is, is the same one that's Apollyon in the Bible uh, who is seen emerging from an infernal pit with smoke that blocks the sun uh, and has henchmen that comes out that says they, they begin tormenting everyone. Uh, why would the Jews believe that this particular person that's doing all of this terrible mayhem coming up out of a hole in the ground be their messiah and go on and confirm a covenant with him, much less anybody else in the world? Well, first of all, I don't know if the people of the world are going to uh, see this guy emerging out of the pit. Maybe that's why there's going, the place is going to be covered in smoke. 
in order to in order to uh, to to disguise their appearance on this earth. Remember that that you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse: the white horse, the black horse, the red horse, and the pale horse. The first horse is he that goes out. The rider has a bow with no arrow in it. This this now this is the antichrist. This is Apollo who's going out and he's riding a white horse. Because, again, he's the counterfeit Christ. If you go back to Revelation chapter 19, I think it is, or 18, it talks about when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the book of Revelation at Armageddon, riding on a white horse. So, again, this is a counterfeit Christ. In fact, that's another uh, obvious um, proof that this is, an anti- that, that this is a counterfeit Jesus Christ, okay. not a counterfeit Maddie. But now, Pollyanna is known as the destroyer, though. Correct. I know that, yeah, but this this is all us reading this, remember, that the people that are going to be left on the earth, uh, Mike, don't know anything of these things. You and I are Christians. The people that are listening, most of them were born again. We have the Spirit of God. But natural man, you know, per- perceives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto them. These people are going to be blank. They're, they're starting on a blank page without the Spirit of God. When these people show up, this guy, the reason he has no, a bow with no arrow is because he comes in peace. This guy is going to establish some sort of a peace on the earth for the first, I don't know, half of the apocalypse or some time. He's going to bring, you know, this guy, I wouldn't be surprised, he's coming in the stead of Christ. He does all, it says that he, he, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will deceive the whole world with their lying signs and wonders. Remember, he's coming in the, in the, in the stead in, of Christ. When Christ was here, he changed water into wine, he fed you know, thousands of people with a few loaves and fishes. He healed the dead. He walked on water. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is doing the exact same things because they're supernatural, uh, super powerful spirit beings. That's why it's not some human being. That's why it's not, you know, Nero or Caesar or Hitler or Mao Zedong or George Bush or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. Those guys are not going to do any of these things. Mm-hmm. This, these men, when they arrive, are going to be gods with supernatural powerful spiritual and they're going to deceive the whole world with their lying signs and wonders so the first part of the whole thing is not going to be them destroying or or tormenting people it's going to be bringing peace on the world it's only at some point halfway down the apocalypse that maybe the chinese start flipping up or, or the muslims start kicking up and then you know the thing starts to fall apart which is going to culminate in Armageddon and in the in the battle, which is a nuclear strike at the end of the book of Revelation. But the first part is going to be these guys appearing very possibly as they appeared when they descended on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared. And the, and the people of the earth beheld these spirit, beautiful-looking men, probably with magic abilities, with supernatural powers, but who are irresistible they're, to the women. They're going to torment people, though, for five months, correct? Well, that, yeah, but when? When? At what point? I don't know. I don't think they're going to start out with that. Okay. You know, if 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 the if the book if the apocalypse is seven years long, then you know they've got plenty of time to do all that bad stuff, Mike. Or if mm-hmm. it's only three and a half years long, the first two years might be hunky dory, where it's everybody's having a great time. I think these guys are going to appear on on Earth. They're going to say we're going to take the world to the next level of evolution. We're going to bring peace. We're going to get rid of famine. We're going to get rid of war, and they're going to do all these things. And then maybe they'll have to, as I say, kick the butt of the Mahdi and his two henchmen in order to get them inside, in order to sign this peace pact between the Jews and and the her Arab neighbors, in order to bring peace on the earth, and everything is going swimmingly. 
for a certain amount of time until it begins to fall apart and then all these other things start happening. Mm. The trumpets and, and the sales and, and, you know, by the end of the whole thing, I can't remember what the figures are, but it's something like two or three billion people are going to be dead. Right. But I don't think it's right. going to start out like that. Okay. Well, uh, let me ask you something that you spend a lot of time on in your book explaining, uh, and that is re- regarding the beast out of the abyss, uh, who is described in Revelation as one is who once was, now is not, but, but shall be again, uh, and who is also described as one of the seven. He's an eighth, but he's one of the seven, of which five have fallen. One is, and one will be for a short time. Can you explain how your cosmology, how that all fits in to how he satisfies those criteria? Yeah, well, I have the exact verse in front of me here, which says, uh, Revelation 17, The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the world whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. That's twice it says that. Mm-hmm. Well, it says the beast which you saw once was. Once was when? When, in the thousand years or so prior to the flood of, of Noah, he reigned on the earth with the rest of the other so-called gods of Greece and Rome and Egypt, such as Mars, Saturn, Pluto, Mercury, Jupiter, etc., etc. He once was. Now is not. How come he now is not? Because he's locked up in this subterranean pris, uh, prison, which is called Tartarus, or, or you know, the, or, or the abyss. And by the way, Tartarus in Greek and Roman mythology is again is, is the prison of the gods because they rebelled against Zeus. Now is not. And will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. Like I said in Revelation chapter 9, when the bottomless pit is opened and they come out of this place, he will going to come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. That doesn't mean that he's destroyed. It means he's going to, by the end of his reign and by the end of the book of Revelation, he's going to destroy the world and kill two or three billion people will be dead. But that says the inhabitants of the world whose names have not been written in the book of life. Now, that's like I was saying to you a few minutes ago. The vast majority of people are just flesh and blood. They're just body and soul people. They don't have mm-hmm. the Spirit of God to understand these spiritual things. So they're going to be hoodwinked. They're going to be deceived by the lying signs and wonders of this guy. I mean, for goodness sake, Mike, look at the adoration of the world when Michael Jackson died mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Even with his track record. You know? Oh, Whether you believe it or, or don't. The point is, is that the world, they're always ready to embrace some icon, some some person they can stick up in the pedestal, and they did that for a whole, my goodness, it was in the in the, in the the news here for weeks, you couldn't switch on the uh, television or open the paper without Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, Michael sure. Jackson, so you can imagine when these guys arrive with their beauty, with their supernatural gifts, with their, with their magic, with their, their, what they're going to portray for the world, the world is going to fall over and, and swallow this hook, line and center, hmm. center, so whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, and they're going to see him. This guy isn't going to possess some human being. When the 200 manifested on on the earth in the days of Noah, it was they themselves that appeared, Apollo, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, etc. That's what the people saw. It was those guys in person who took the women to wife, who had relations with them, sexual relations, and produced offspring. In the same way, when these guys appear on the earth again, it's going to be them in person. They're not mm-hmm. going to possess Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Now, well, can you comment those about guys that? might be 
Yeah, the, about the seven. I'm particularly intrigued about how how you find a chronology of the the eighth being of the seven with the five of fallen, one is and one for a short time. Well, again, when you get into Revelations chapter 17 and 18, it it tells you who the ten heads and the the ten kings and the seven heads are. And without getting into too much theology here, it tells us that the ten heads are are ten other kings. And that uh, the, the ten horns, ten horns. Excuse me. The ten horns are ten other kings who who rise up and who will receive their power for one hour with the beast. It also talks about the seven heads are seven other kings. That's ten and seven. That's seventeen and all fallen angels. They're called kings. Kings in the Greek in the Book of Revelation just mean, means leaders. That's all they mean, leaders. When these guys uh, assume their authority with the the Antichrist for a short time. Uh, they, they could be prime ministers, they could be presidents, they could be chairmen, chancellors, I don't know what they'll be called. But they're called in Revelation Kings. So there's 10 and 7, there's 17 of them. Then if you put them together with the other beast that rises up having two horns, this is who I'm speculating, maybe the Imam or the Mahdi, then that's 17 plus 3 is 20 of these guys. And again, in the book of Enoch, he gives us the names of the 20 leaders by 10 of the 200 fallen angels that fell. So I presume these are the same guys. Now when it says five have fallen, one is and one is to come. The one is to, that is to come is Apollo. Now he says he'll come for a short time, right? But that yeah. the eighth is one of the seven. So he is one of the seven that comes for a short time. And then there's an eighth one that's one of them. So does that mean there's two appearances of Apollo? His role is the seventh king and also is the eighth no, I think, I, I, you know, this gets a little confusing, even for me. Right. And I don't sure. know why it says five have fallen. Perhaps they're already here. Okay. You know? Uh, uh, one is, I don't know what that means. The so one the, is to come. The, the, abyss is, the abyss is open then? And the five oh, no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, okay. remember, there's only, there's only two hundred of them locked up in the abyss, okay. Mike. Well, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know how they, the five would have gotten here, like you said, had not the abyss opened to release them. Well, maybe maybe they were part of the ones that fell after the flood. There was a second eruption of fallen angels with women after the flood of Noah, okay. and th- that's why when Moses or when jo- uh, what's his name Joshua sent in the spies to spy out the promised land, they come back and they says, "There's no way we're going to defeat this. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys, they're like they're lo- we look like grasshoppers com- compared to them. The whole land was full of giants, which were the offspring of the fallen angels. A second band of them that came a second time. Now we're not told that they're locked up." Mm-hmm. In the abyss. So, I speculate in my in my last book, the Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse, that these guys are still at large, perhaps in the world. Wow. I I really I I really don't know, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. and I don't like speculating on things that I don't know about. That's just one of the little secrets that hasn't been revealed to me yet. Sure. All I know is it says that five have fallen, one is and one is to come, and there's seventeen of those. The ten and seven is seventeen, and three of the other guys. That makes up twenty. But remember, and this is an important thing. It says when, when Lucifer fell, falls to earth, that he brought a third of the, of the angels with him. So a third of the angels rebelled with Lucifer to try and usurp the throne of God in the days of Noah. I don't know how many of them there is. I don't know if it runs into the hundreds of thousands. But here's an interesting thing, Mike. And this, again, goes against what a lot of, uh, a lot of prophecy teachers uh, um, teach and write about. In also... In Revelation chapter 12, it says there will be a war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. And it says uh, they were defeated and their their place was found no more in heaven. 
and it says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil is cast down and his angels with him, having great wrath. Now that is still future. And the reason I know that's still future is says because he, the adversary, or the dragon, or the serpent, who is the devil and Satan, twice it says that in Revelation, that the dragon and the serpent is the devil and Satan. It says, day and night he appears before the throne of God, accusing the brethren. That means he's before the throne of God. He still, they, these guys still inhabit heaven, the devil and his angels, and day and night he appears before the throne of God, accusing the brethren. He's up there rehearsing my sins and your sins and the sins of all your listeners before the face of God day and night. Now, perhaps heaven is like earth. Perhaps, you know, the devil and his angels are living in Ireland and, and the, the house of God and Jesus and his father and he's sitting on his right hand and the 24 elders and the, all the rest of the, of the good angels are in, you know, Florida. And the devil is nicking, nipping over and back all the time between coming from earth up and down and going over and back accusing the brethren. But it says there's going to be a war in heaven, not a battle, a war. And it says Michael and his angels, who's the archangel Michael, defeats the devil and his angels, and they're cast down to earth. And that ties in with a verse, an obscure verse in Revelation chapter 6, where it says that John saw the stars fall from heaven right. to earth, like figs falling from a fig tree, shaken by a mighty wind. Now again, the stars fall, falling from heaven to earth is a metaphor for angels, because stars that... You know, falling stars are just little bits of uh, matter that burn up in space. But these stars are the, are the devil and the rest of his angels, I believe, mm. getting kicked out down to earth. And they're going to fall to earth, it says, like figs falling from a fig tree. Well, I, I, I might just min mention, I believe it's Isaiah 34 is a mirror passage to, to, to that one, talking about the sixth seal. And it talks about the same thing like uh, figs falling from a fig tree, but it mentions heavenly host. So I think it's even more explicit in connecting this whole star connection to... Where's that, Isaiah? Where? I believe it's Isaiah 34. And oh, you, you, that. I didn't know that. You read that description, uh, and I think God put that all in there for a purpose. Is there anybody who had any kind of hesitancy of understanding that those were heavenly beings coming down? It's more explicit in that passage. And, well, I mean, uh, the point is that yeah. the, the interesting point I believe here is is that you remember when I'm sorry for cutting across you, by the way. No. You, you remember when Jesus Christ, when he was talking about the signs of the end times, he he says, "As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be." Right, mm -hmm. Mike. Right. The big thing that happened in the days of Noah was the manifestation of these fallen angels on earth in the plain sight of everybody who lived, who had sex with the women who had offspring, and they, they, they infected the DNA of the whole of the world at that time, you know, turning everybody into evil, violent people who were shedding of blood. It came close to stopping the preservation of the bloodline of the kinsman redeemer in exactly. fulfillment of the proto-angelion in Genesis uh, that would come from the seed of the woman to exactly. uh, redeem mankind. And it, it exactly. that start yeah, makes that, that, the whole Bible make more sense when people understand that. That's right. If, 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 if you know that when when God confronted the devil, the serpent who was the devil, it's not a snake, and there wasn't an apple involved. It was a serpent who was the devil, who's Satan and the dragon. He confronted him and Adam and Eve. He said, "I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed." There's two different seeds there, and it said, uh, it, "It shall bruise your heel, and you shall crush his head." So the whole raison d'etre of the devil in sending down these fallen angels was to wipe out. 
the bloodline of the Messiah, as you most correctly said, and thus to render the prophecy invalid and, and preserving their old eternity. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's okay getting your, your heel bruised is not so bad, right. but if somebody crushes your head, that's then that's it. a different ball game. So that's why these whole guys came down here, and mm-hmm. they almost succeeded, except that God is always a couple of steps ahead in this eternal chess game. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. had Noah and the ark to, to take to preserve the line of Christ through the blood, through the blood of Noah and his family. Yeah, but everybody, but the important point I'm making is, is yeah. these guys appeared on the earth, and that's what's going to happen in the future. These guys are going to show up, and perhaps this is why we have all this UFO stuff going on, right. abductions, you know, sighting of UFOs, all the, the governments coming out in the last couple of years, releasing all their UFO files, saying, yes, there are UFOs, crop circles, you know, abductions, that's why all this stuff is going. It's and not just that, but all the. If you look at, you know, if you ever go to the movies, Mike, and you look at what's got on in the movies most of the time, I got or on TV. I, I got my daughter a few weeks ago just to write down a few off the top of her head. Most mm-hmm. haunted, world secret ghosts crossing over right. with John Edwards. Our psychic family, Heidi Zombie, psychic detectives, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dark Angel, Charmed Heroes, Stargates, Angels and Demons, Twilight, Harry Potter. Uh, Drag Me to Hell, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, Monsters vs. Aliens, Night at the Museum, Race of the Witch Mountain, X-Men Origins, Knowing, Bat- Batman. In fact, Batman, the Heat Ledger thing always has a, a particular resonance mm-hmm. for me when we get to the to Babylon. But the whole world is being conditioned and brainwashed subliminally with, with all these programs and all these movies to to accept and prepare for when these guys manifest in plain sight on the earth. We're becoming antediluvian again. Uh, you, yes. You know, when uh, I just a couple days ago saw, um, finally sat down and saw a movie produced in your neck of the woods called The Wicker Man, the original one with Edward Woodward. And uh, that was probably most, one of the most disturbing movies I ever saw, uh, not because there was a lot of gore and violence and things like this, but because it showed a post-Christian world of paganism uh, where they worshipped the old gods and felt completely comfortable and had rejected Christianity. And I suddenly realized this is the destiny that they have for all of us. They've got a wicker man planned for each one of us, and when they want these old gods to return, and God's going to give them what they want. They, they long, whether it's from the X-Men or from these other other things that they watch, they want the old gods to come back that don't require repentance, that don't require uh, admission of sin. And uh, God's going to give them what they want, but I, I think they're going to be surprised. It's not going to turn out like they hope. It's actually going to turn out like it was in the last time when they started consuming them. And, and they're going to find their old gods come back and begin consuming them like they did before the flood. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. Uh, that was our very lengthy third segment. We covered a ton of material with Dr. Patrick Heron. Uh, we hope that you uh, really enjoyed some of the thoughts and, and how you made your wheels turn on some of these issues here uh, he is really one of the earliest guys in the modern era that really dug into the meat and potatoes about the Nephilim and some of the activities that they had underway and have had some very original thinking come from him. And uh, we certainly appreciate it here. And we would like to hear what you think about some of his assertions. And Merv is going to tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's all there is. We're going to have to go. Uh, We certainly appreciate you being with us. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. I'm uh, here without Tom Bionic. Uh, he'll be joining us tomorrow for the new segment. But we are concluding our last segment of our interview with Dr. Patrick Heron, the author of The Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order, talking about new revelations from Revelation on the Antichrist and his identity. We don't have much time, so we got to go. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Well, I, I, it's going to be... Uh uh, a horrific time. I mean, when you get in and, and read the book of Revelation, it's going to be a horrific time in there. Jesus Christ said, you know, except those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. That's right. It's going to be unbelievable. But when you get these guys, uh, and, and they're going to get the world to, to, uh, to uh, tie in and, and go along with the whole one world system. And by the way, we should, I guess we should talk about the ten horns here. Because that, that's very topical at the moment mm-hmm. uh, with regard to what's happening in Ireland. We have to vote on the Lisbon Treaty again uh, in, a, in two weeks' time because the, the people of Ireland said no to this treaty last year, but we didn't do it properly. So we have to have another re- referendum and say yes this time. And the whole idea is to turn Europe into mo- in, more or less into a federal state and Ireland will be a province. And we're going to have our own president and our own foreign minister, which is interesting. And this time in with the, when it says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit having ten horns. And this ties in with the ten toes in Daniel. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's mm-hmm. dream uh, yeah. where he thought about the various kingdoms. And the last one he said... The iron mixed to clay. Yes. He said there's going to be a, a kingdom made up of ten toes of iron mixed with clay. And it's, it says then they shall mingle their seed with the seed of men. And I believe the iron and clay is going to be these fallen angels together with human politicians. The human politicians rep- are represented by the clay. Thus thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I don't, know who's, the, I don't know who's the more evil of the two. Well, I mean, there, there's but, dupes, and there's the guys that know what's gone down. Based upon the human politicians I've known, they'd give a good run for the money for these fallen angels. Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I don't know what are the people that are in politics at the moment in the United States and Europe and everywhere who are shaping this whole thing. Right. Well, let's, let's get back to basics. It says that there's going to be ten kingdoms in the world made up of clay and iron. So the clay are the human politicians together with the iron, who I believe are the, the fallen angels, because compared to iron, we are mere clay, because these are supernatural, powerful spirit beings with magical powers and supernatural abilities. So that's the ten toes made up of, of, of clay and iron. The world is going to be split into ten. I'm told that the UN already has the United States split up into ten regions. And it's going to be governed by the Antichrist and ten, his ten horns are ten other angels, spirit beings, together with human beings, human politicians. And as I say, when you look at what's happened in the world right now, Mike, where you have, you know, the United States joining up with Canada and Mexico in the NAFTA treaty, Mm -hmm. you have the Lisbon Treaty in Europe where we, even though the Dutch said no, 
the French voted no in a referendum, the Irish voted no in a referendum. They're, they're not having any of it. Right. We have to vote again, and we have to say yes this time. We're being terrorised into saying yes this time, and it will go through. Mm-hmm. Europe will be another region, Russia will be another region, China will be another. There's going to be ten of these regions, ten of these super states, as you were, mm-hmm. ten geopolitical regions. What we see is the G20 at the moment will become the G10, and they're going to be ruled over by this man, who's a spirit man, who is named in the Bible as Abaddon or Apollo. Let's call him Apollo because we don't speak Greek. We don't know what he's going to call himself when he arrives. Probably Christ or Jesus Christ. That's because he's coming instead of Christ. And they're going to rule. The world is going to be split into ten. That's the ten toes. And that's represented by the ten horns. The beast with ten horns. Then it says he's got seven heads. I'm not sure exactly who the seven heads are. Perhaps they are like the G7. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have the answers to all these things. Well, you see, that goes back to the five as fallen, one is, and one for short time. So I assume there's some kind of historical element to those heads as well, too. There absolutely is. There's some parallel thing. Well, mm-hmm. I know I did. There's a, so there's another bit of speculation in there that I did, too, that I could throw in, and that's with regard to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one is the rider on the white horse who goes out mm-hmm. with a bow but no arrow. We know that's Apollo. That's the Antichrist. Then it talks about a red horse. And the red horse uh, is given a sword and he takes away peace from the world whereby people are going to kill one another. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, are these actual uh, beasts from the abyss as well too, uh, according to your model, or something different? The, the well, second to fourth horses. Well, if, if, if the first horse is Apollo, then you see even metaphors or parables have literal meaning. Right? Mm-hmm. Every, the, the whole Bible is literal, Mike. Everything is literal. They have literal meanings. So, even though these are metaphors, we know that in reality, the rider on the, right, on the white horse is the Antichrist coming in the stead of Christ, whom the Bible names as Abaddon or Apollo, who was a Greek god of yore. Right? So, we might as well infer then that the rest of them are also literal too. So, that would mean that the rider on the red horse was very possibly... Uh, the god called Mars, because Mars is the red planet. Mars is known as the god of war, right? Then we have the rider on the black horse. Black in the Bible always denotes scarcity. And the the rider on the black horse has scales, and he says three handfuls of wheat for for a day's work and one handful of barley for a day's work. Now, if you're getting four slices of bread for a day's work, that is worldwide famine and it's economic collapse, And in Greek and Roman mythology, Mercury was the god of commerce. So possibly that is Mercury. Then we have the fourth horse, which is the pale horse, and the rider is death. Well, this is possibly the angel of death, you know, that that it spoke Mm -hmm. about in uh, in Egypt when the angel of death passed over and all the the Mm -hmm. firstborn of the Egyptians, etc., etc., died. Now, I'm just speculating a little bit there, and it's... It's mildly interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be putting my, my you know, my sure. mortgage, my house on that. Well, can, but it's, can, it's inter- interesting parallels. Can, uh, I ask you, can I ask you one, though, about a, just for our prophecy students out there who are going to be digging into your book and uh, putting this all into a context consistency, they see. Going back to the book of Daniel, which, as we understand, is probably the second and most significant prophecy book in terms of content, in addition to the book of Revelation, there's, there's a lot talked about the king of the north. And this king of the north, there's a, there's a series of kings of the north that, that, that deal with others throughout history. But then there, at the end, there's a final king of the north that, that 
uh, has seems to have all the attributes we associate with the Antichrist. And in fact, he ends up confronting uh, their Messiah at the very end in, in the last battle. Do you connect this Apollyon to the King of the North? And the reason why I ask it is that there's some attributes, if you read between the lines of the sound, that he has a very inauspicious beginning. Uh, in fact, he's not royalty or any kind of thing like this, but develops some kind of military background and with a very small group of people eventually begins to conquer groups. So I just wanted to see if you had any comment. I didn't see that in your book. Is there a connection between him and the King of the North? Well, I actually went back and I, I've been reading up on the King of the North and Daniel today, and I'm a great uh, fan of E.W. Bullinger. Yes, and the He's the great. companion Bible is E.W. Mm-hmm. Bullinger, okay? And he points out in his, uh, in his dissertation on Daniel that the king of the north was an actual real king, uh, which was future to Daniel. In other words, it was future to Daniel, but it's past to us now. He, he slices up. He says uh, Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 to 20, is past in our history, looking back for us now. But to Daniel, it was future at his time. But from Daniel 11.21 to Daniel 23 is talking about our future when it gets into talking specifically about the little horn, uh, the vile king, the willful king, the king of fierce countenance, who is the Antichrist. So he actually has the king of North uh, down as Antiochus III, who was the king of the North. The the, The first king mentioned in Daniel 11 is Darius the Mid, it was also called Cyrus. The next one was Cambyses, and the third was once Antiochus the third. So, he, uh, and he was in turn superseded by Alexander the Great. So, according to E. W. Bullinger, the King of the North was a type of the Antichrist to come, okay. but he was actually Antiochus the third. So, even in in Daniel twelve, because in Daniel twelve it talks about that time Michael will stand up, the great prince, and there'll yes. be a time of trouble as has never been since there was a nation. Uh, and then it talks about uh, many of them that sleep in the dust and the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Is that also some event that happened at that no, same historical time? No, he, he, he defies that passage from 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to 1120, was talking about Darius, Cambrius, and Antiochus. But right. from 1121 to 12, to 12, 3 is talking about our future. And this is talking about the Antichrist and what's coming down in the future. So and that, interesting, that would be Apollyon. That would be Apollyon. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. This Got is it. the guy called the 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 willful king, the king of fierce countenance. Uh, you know the various different names for him. Um, you know he's got he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the king of Assyria, the vile king, the king of fierce countenance, the little horn, the willful king, and the beast. There are various names for us. Interestingly, when when, um, Gabriel, because it was Gabriel who appeared to Daniel, tells him that he was prevented coming there by the prince of Persia. And he said, after I call, the prince of Greece is going to come. And this was coming from a guy called the prince who was Michael. They're all spiritual entities. The prince of Persia and the prince of Greco are gods, spirit beings. And the prince of Persia... It says he prevented Gabriel from coming to Daniel for 21 days. That's how powerful these spirit right. beings are. So, I mean, Daniel is a little hard to decipher. I, I also copied out uh, several chapters out of that. But a lot of it is hard to nail down. Uh, sure. But some of it parallels beautifully and dovetails beautifully with the book of Revelation. Right. But the, bu- the book of Revelation is actually a little easier to, to <laughs> understand in my, in my 
uh, judgment on some of the things yeah. written in the book of Revelation. I have right. or in right. the book Daniel. of Daniel. Now, let me make sure I understand you correct. The, 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 the persona of the king of the north that corresponds, you say, to Apollyon, begins in what part of Daniel chapter 11? What verse? Uh, 1121. 11 11 to 12, 3. Okay. All right. But All right. The king of the north, according to Bullinger, in, in his uh, notes, and I would defer to him, I mean... When it comes to biblical scholarship and, and uh, prophecies about the end times, I mean, I have his, compa- his, uh, his, his book on Revelation here, and it's unbelievable. It's six or seven hundred pages, but it's easy to read. Well, it's simple. I, I would not be worthy to tie his laces, and most of the Bible scholars that I've read would not be worthy to tie the laces of E.W. Bullinger. So I'm deferring to him to, to this. And he says the, the king of the north is a type of the Antichrist to come, but that it's actually Antiochus III, which was an actual king mm-hmm. who, who came after Cam- Cambyses and Darius the Mede, or otherwise known as Cyprus, as Cyrus. And after them came Alexander the Great. Okay, but, but in 11.21 forward, he says, and you subscribe, 11.21 forward would be this Apollyon character. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the willful king and the little horn. And then it talks about, I mean, the interesting thing that I, which ties in with the whole thing about Babylon, my chapters on Babylon mm-hmm. in the USA from Prophecy, is where it speaks about a goat coming from the west, and mm-hmm. his feet don't touch the ground, and then he... He bangs into the ram with two horns and he, he knocks him down and stamps all over him. Now, you know, I have an idea of what I think that is, but mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong. It sounds to me like an airstrike coming from hmm. the West. And you see, now, many people I've heard take that passage historically and, and see that two-horned beast is the Medes and the Persians who come. So I had not even considered that in a futurist context. Well, it talks in Revelation about the beast who rises up having two two horns. So this has to be the same guy, hmm. because the whole context is talking about the the little horn who becomes great, and which is the Antichrist or the willful king or the king of fierce countenance, okay. or, or the vile king. So it, it's a little hard to piece together. But when you read it and read it and read it, little bits of the jigsaw fit in together. And as I say, Daniel is still, you know, I haven't really fully tried my best to get in and decipher it, because I'm a bit slow myself, and I have to see something written in plain black and white. But once you see the truth of these things, then it, then, it, then you always recognize the truth of it, Mike. Like, for instance, when it says, the beach, beast which, which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. It makes perfect sense when you realize that that beast is Apollo, mm-hmm. or a bad Mm-hmm. Who once was, now he's locked up, but he's going to come up in the future. Well, make, so, a, uh, make a note for that Daniel book to be the next one you start working on. I will. I'll have to get down and start reading it and rereading <laughs> it again, you know. And the King James wasn't making it any easier, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that came from Ural's neck of the woods over there, that language. So don't look at us over here. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Uh, hey, I, I got another question related to, in, in fact, I found it fascinating that you took a very simple numbering system where you added all of these people mentioned in Revelation, you came up with 20, you found a connection in the book of Enoch to 20 leaders uh, over each a group of 10 of these fallen beings. I found that fascinating. But but one of the questions that arose is, is you mentioned in there uh, that for this numbering system to be consistent with what we know about the three horns that are overthrown by the little horn, uh, you speculate in there that, that possibly the Antichrist may overthrow the false prophet and two of his henchmen 
uh, to be able to comply with that whole thing about the three horns being overthrown. Uh, you know, that's something I had never heard of anywhere else about the, the false prophet himself being, you know, thrown out by the, by the Antichrist himself. Um, how does that work if, in, if at the end they're both thrown alive at the same time into the lake of fire? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, they're both spirit beings. I mean, this, this, actually, this is another proof, if we needed any more proof, to show that the Antichrist and the false prophet are not human beings. They're spirit beings because they're thrown alive into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, we're told that the devil is thrown into the, into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. Okay. See, apparently, apparently, spirit cannot be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right, so when they're so they're going to be there, and, and I think that ties in with what Jesus Christ said when he said that the hell is a place reserved for the devil and his angels because they're spirit beings. So both the false prophet and the antichrist or the beast from the abyss are spirit beings, and they're they're going to be alive, you know, forever in eternity in this lake of fire. Now, I'm as I said, uh, uh, I'm just reiterating, I'm just reckoning that this Mahdi is going to rise up with a couple of his powerful henchmen. Mm-hmm. And probably uh, not row in with the Antichrist and his one world government. And he may have, a, have to go over there and then get him in line and then he will comply. Now, again, I'm just reading between the lines on that, Mike. I, I wouldn't be putting my mortgage on that either, you know. <laughs> well, the, the thing that, that caught me was I'd always understood the false prophet is supposed to bring all the attention to the Antichrist and that he sets up an image to honor him and does his signs and wonders totally to support him. I never had envisioned them in being any kind of competing kind of role. And that's well, what I just wanted a, your thoughts. As far as I can see, you're exactly right on that. But perhaps he has to sort him out politically and militarily first in order to get him on side in order that he toes the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm just tying together the ram with two horns, yeah. uh, getting trodden by this goat who flies from the west and whose feet never touch the ground. That's a very interesting, interesting uh, way of p- putting those passages together. Uh, yeah, well, I, as I say, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have all the answers on these things, and the stuff that I don't know about, in, there's a few little places in my book where I do say I'm speculating here. Mm-hmm, right. This could be, but the stuff that I'm sure about, I am sure about. By the way, how much time do we have left? Well, we just got uh, just a couple of minutes left. I had one more essential question I want to ask you. I could have easily made this uh, uh, a two-part interview with all the questions left on the table, and and I want to wrap up with a summary. Can I scoot in one quick question before we call sure. it a day? Um, and that's another one that some people might ask. We have a lot of. Uh, savvy prophecy students that listen to our show much more than me and they're always challenging me on everything I say here uh, but one of the things that they'll be interested I ask you a little bit about who plays what role and some of the what if kind of scenarios one thing is about a timeline and and I, if I unless I read wrong you mentioned that 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 you thought that it's possible that this abyss opening which I believe is the fifth trumpet in in uh, revelation might happen simultaneously with the opening of the sixth seal, uh, when we hear all the you know the kings of the earth saying all the rocks splitting and saying that day of the Lord has come, day of His wrath. And I was wondering if if you could explain how that works because I thought that the trumpets did not blow until after the seventh seal, and then they start through some you know consecutive order at that particular period of time. Uh, I may have misunderstood that in your book, but can you clarify how they could be coincident in time? No, I can't clarify that at all. Okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I can't clarify. I, I, I don't know. It, it, I've never got in and done an in-depth study on the chronology of the book of Revelation because I don't think it's chronological. I think things, things are happening 
at the beginning which are reiterated at the end or stuff happening in the middle which pops up uh, before and after and I, I don't think it's chronological at all mm-hmm. I don't I never get in to try and again study uh, uh, how the trumpets and the and the seals and what's your well you got uh, trumpets bowls and the bowls how they all work but they all appear to to end at the same time and that is is that the valley of, of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon, where, where uh, uh, John said, you know, there seemed to be a Mexican standoff between an army of 200 million from the east and a huge military power from the west under, under the leadership of the beast from the abyss. And there's a Mexican standoff and then somebody hits the button because John says he saw flashes of lightning, he heard peals of thunder, rumblings and a huge earthquake. And it says, never was there an earthquake like this in, in the world before and it said all the cities of the nations fell down now that to me is a description of a nuclear strike because he saw flashes of lightning like the Mm -hmm. flashes of lightning we saw when they were attacking you know uh, Iraq for instance he heard rumblings when these things were boom boom exploding all over the place Uh, uh, you know rumblings uh, noises like lightning which if you're standing beside these things when they're shooting on after sound like cracks of lightning, mm-hmm. and then it's, and then he said a, what he described as an earthquake, and all the cities of the nations fell down. Now there's only one thing, in my opinion, Mike, that's going to make all the cities of the nations fall down at the same time, and that's a nuclear strike. Mm-hmm. I've no doubt about that. So uh, I, I've never got in and studied the chronology of all the various things because I, it's for me it's it's too hard to decipher. <laughs> so. I prayed to God and I asked Jesus Christ to open my eyes and, and reveal things to me. And there's a lot of new stuff in this book uh, that, that I've never read in anybody else's book before. That's, what quite, that's quite an understatement. I mean, we we got so many more questions we won't be able to get to here. Uh, just, just for example, your whole connection of the locusts and scorpions and, and, and related to Jesus teaching about that is a whole yeah. fascinating subject. We could have a whole show just on that. And, it's very uh, simple too, and when, when you read it out, it's, a, it's it's very very simple. And another thing we didn't touch on uh, uh, in this interview, which I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get to, was the whole thing about Babylon, Mister Babylon, and the whole role of the United States and what's coming down. Well, go on and tell us who it is. Then we'll take you but a few seconds. We uh, know who Apollyon I, is. Well, we know Apollyon. Mystery ba- Babylon is the mother of prostitutes. It, it says is a city which rules over the kings of the earth. In other words, these kings, the Antichrist and his fallen angels, when they arrive, are going to rule from this city. And when you get in and read all the clues in uh, Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18, there's absolutely no doubt as to what city it is speaking about now, which is a very powerful city at the epicenter of world affairs at this moment. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to have to do another interview okay. in order to tease that one out. Now, people could buy your book to find out, too. That would be another way they could find out, right? They will absolutely get it. It's only $5 to download, uh, and you will get it at my website, which is www.neph.ie. Actually, can you say that in your American accent there, Mike? N-E-P-H.ie. N-E-P-H dot I-E. That's it. You got it. That's the short for Nephilim. N-E-P-H dot I-E. Hey, I have people making... I have other Southerners making fun fun of me here for talking like a Kentuckian. So uh, you got a couple billion dialects going on with the Future Quake Show. 
Well, I have to say, I met some Americans. I was in Munich last week, and I said, are you all from America? And they said, yeah. And they said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Dublin, Ireland, but I'm just speaking in American, so you all can understand what I'm saying. You all understand? Come on, come back, 10-4, rubber duck to pink fairy, over. So, so they, they got a laugh out of that. So they don't speak perfect English like the Irish. Yeah, well, you know, you know what they say that uh, uh, America, America and England are two countries divided by a common language. <laughs> well, I want to summarize here, and we're going to put the link to uh, your website so people can get your book directly at futurequake.com, where our show will be archived, or they they can get it. Uh, and I just want you to conclude with any concluding words. But I have a concluding word for you to remember in the future. If things get bad there in Ireland and they approve this treaty, I want to remind you that your neighbor, the Faroe Islands, are not part of the European Union. <laughs> so, And it's a nice, beautiful, green place. It looks a lot like Ireland. And uh, you, you might have a place to retreat to to get the next few of those books out, that Daniel book and your uh, chronology book. But uh, in summary here, I want to thank you so much. And I want to thank you particularly for who you are. As a person who is who is your own man, you are not intimidated by some of these other people in the field that, that write the same stuff on over again. You take the word in your own hands. You read it yourself. You come up with your own conclusions. You put it out there for people to review. And there's been many people who have been blessed by your work over the years. And, and the Lord has used you to reach in a special way through Grizzly Adam Productions, through all of these different new doors that you've opened that many people we have on our show – uh, have not been so sent by the Lord uh, to, to do. And so it's just really exciting for us to see how the Lord's hand is in your life. Uh, he's got someone like you who has uh, got an open mind, who looks for opportunities to share the word. And it's just a pleasure to know you, have you as a friend here. And you've always been so supportive to us here. And I appreciate you taking time to come with us today. Well, Mike, thank you very, very much. Uh, you, you know, you're nearly moving me to hear tears listening to that. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful to God and my big brother and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for what they've allowed me to do because he must have a, a sense of humor because I know I'm a sinner. They know I'm a sinner. They know my sins better than I do, and, and I'm a very weak and frail person. Perhaps I like the, the pointy Guinnesses a bit too much too. But, you know, I, I've, all my work is, is out there in order to save souls, to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of what God did for me and my love for God that I want to reach out other people too. So thank you very, very much for that, that and for having me on and, and for allowing me to come on. Uh, uh, and I would, I would just encourage everybody to, to download the e-book. It, it'll blow your mind. Please do. And I just want to remind you too that there are large villages in the New Jerusalem of people who will be there in the New Jerusalem because of your obedience and the work that you've done in your ministry. And I don't know of a higher compliment I could give to anybody of success in their life. And that, like was said about Dwight Moody, uh, a, a skeptic said in his obituary, he said he, he grudgingly admitted that hell was de deprived at least a million citizens because of the work of Dwight Moody. And wow. there was a large population of people that will be deprived of citizenship in hell because of the faithfulness of Patrick Heron. And all i got to say to you is just keep up the good work, brother. I'm so glad you're on our side. And uh, just come back. When you have time, you, you always take the extra effort to make time for our little lowly show here. I appreciate it so much. And please come back again uh, with your next contribution you have to all of us, would you? Thank you, Mike. And God bless you, my brother. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Well, that's the conclusion of our interview with uh, Dr. Patrick Heron. 
And we hope you certainly enjoyed that. I told you it would be very thought-provoking. And, in fact, we'd like to hear what you think about it. So if you would uh, listen to this message, Merv will tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Well, we have to go right now. Uh, we'll have a unique day tomorrow for tomorrow's Tremors, our review of the news. We're going to have Tom Bionic actually calling in to join us for that. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, risen from the ashes of failure. Bionic. No, you're not the ashes of failure. The plane hit the mountain and the survivors ate each other. That is not true. Ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be with you. Uh, we appreciate all your all's uh, love and care for us. Mm-hmm. and uh, Both of us, particularly Tom, I bet you yeah. do right now. Yeah. You have lots of fans out there. And it's Friday, which mm-hmm. means what? Do you know what that means? Uh, well, it, it means that I have to drive to your house like mad because I don't want to be late. For what? For today. Tomorrow's Tremors or today's review of the Futures News. Well, yeah, of course. I was getting to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, it's great to be with you all. Um, and I tell you, Tom, it's much better having you here in the studio, although it was better having you remote than not having you at all for tomorrow's Tremors. Indeed. Well, I'm happy to be here. Because I'm real boring otherwise. And uh, I will tell you, last night, I, at the time we were recording this, I was last night on for an hour and a half on a mm-hmm. show called The Cursed Radio. I listened to him a whole bunch, actually. I think he's Do really you really? Yeah. I've listened to about 15 of his shows with Joe Jordan. You're kidding. No, I don't kid about anything. Okay. Well, in fact, I'm now 100%. You've, you've got one to avoid now. One with, Tom, <laughs> with uh, Dr. Future on yeah, I'll it. just hit skip when I come, that one comes well, up. Well, i tell you, all I heard was Tom Bionic this, Tom Bionic that, Tom Bionic's the greatest, Tom Bionic's the funniest, he's the real hit of the show, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And so then I had to try to think of all your negative attributes, you know, and well, defensiveness. That, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't hard, I'm sure. It was a Tom Bionathon, yeah. basically. Sometimes he shows up and he never has he's never had his stuff together and he's like his hair's yeah. wild and you know. Well, it's good to have you here. Well, I'm happy to be you here. You have legions of fans out there, I just want you to know. Legion? I don't mean that in the demonic legion. Yeah, I, I mean like, like good like, legion. Yeah. Okay. And we got some news to do. Let's blast it. Do you man. want to go first or me? I do. I do actually want. Oh, I want to go first so oh, bad. Well, did I go fa- first last time? Oh, I tell you what. I'll earn treasures in heaven. You can go Oh, first. there. Yeah, your your crown is going to be so heavy. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. more room on it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and humble. Uh-huh. Um, My head gets bigger. They'll make more room for yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Don't worry about that. Uh, girl dies after receiving cervical cancer vaccine. Uh, but before we get to the before we get to this latest um, well murder really 
let's review something here that I actually read here on, you know, mm-hmm. over the air a couple couple months ago. The mother of a 13-year-old girl who became partly paralyzed after be, being given a cervical cancer vaccination says social workers have told her the child may be removed from her care uh, if she, the mother, continues to link her condition with the vaccination. Uh, the schoolgirl was, uh, she got the shot. It's called Cervarix, which is mm-hmm. to treat human papilloma, papilloma, something virus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's the same thing here as Gardasil. It's to try to stop cervical cancer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the schoolgirl was soon collapsing repeatedly. She lost the use of her legs and was admitted to Alder Hay Children's Hospital. Nearly 11 months later, she is still in the hospital and is unable to stand or walk unaided. Her mother, Cheryl, has, has now been told that doctors believe her condition must be psychosomatic. <clears throat> yes, but it's psychosomatic for, like, tons of girls. Yes. In other countries. Uh-huh. It's... There's a massive, massive psychosomatic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Cave said that a social worker, this is where it gets weird. Uh, the hospital brought in social workers from the local authority. Uh, and uh, uh, Cheryl Cave, uh, uh, the daughter's, uh, Ashley's mother, has said that she believes the paralysis was caused by the vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this cave, uh, this Miss Cave uh, was told by the social worker that she better not say that again or... Uh, the social worker said, and I quote, the social worker said I should stop believing the injection has anything to do with Ashley's condition because I am putting my thoughts onto her and stopping her from getting well. Since Ashley was in the hospital, she has become incontinent and had double kidney infections and chest infections. Have I made all these up? Asks uh, Miss Cave. Uh, now, on now th- let me ask you this. If, if her mom had that kind of power over her daughter's physical couldn't she have actually empowered her not to have cervical cancer instead of taking a vaccine? One would think so. That would have been a more positive way to do it if they feel like she has that kind of power over people's yeah. physiology. You would that would that would sure be nice. I mean, uh, but well, but, let's keep them concise so we can have more than two stories today. For okay. Both well, us, so. unfortunately, uh, they won't be making this mistake here in uh, Natalie Morton's case. She's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as you'll find out, that's what they call coincidence, apparently, in Great Britain. Uh, this is from the BBC, by the way. Health chiefs have launched a full and urgent investigation into the death of a 14-year-old girl after she was given a cervical cancer vaccination at school. Natalie Morton died in the hospital on Monday after receiving the Cervarix jab at the Blue Coat Church of England School in Coventry. Um, the batch of the vaccine has been used has been placed into quarantine as a precautionary measure uh, after Natalie uh, received... Uh, she she got dizzy and mm-hmm. she fell down. Uh, but it can't be just one batch because this is no, reports no, no. all over the world. No, no, from Gardasil um, and equivalents. Uh, they say that uh, they say that though it is possible that Natalie's death was due to uh, it's it's technically statistically possible that it was due to Cervarix, but it's more likely that it was coincidence and nothing directly related to the mm-hmm. to do with the vaccine. The incident happened shortly after the girl had received her HPV vaccine, vaccine in the school. No link can be made between the death and mm-hmm. the vaccine until all the facts are known and a postmortem yeah. takes place. Yeah. Um, and they're saying, of course, that there will be a small pause in the vaccinations but uh, other to conduct the inva- uh, investigation. Uh, and that it'll, it should be investigated mm-hmm. very quickly to allay people's fears about the safety of the jab. Um, but this is something they're having... Young young girls take all around the country. Yes, um, you know I've had a number of Christians lately tell me that they're going to go on and take the shots. 
I have I have heard that too, and I've known some people who've had to do it. Unfortunately, it's really sad. Um, Dr. David Elliman, a consultant in community pediatrics at Great Ormond Street Hospital, told the BBC it was important to investigate very quickly to allay people's fears about the safety jab. Uh, and he also goes on to say here, uh, but these are these sort of things one would look for: severe allergic reaction, but more likely this is a coincidence. Yeah. Been an outbreak, an epidemic of coincidences. Man, coincidence all over the place. Yeah. Speaking of coincidence, all right. You remember our talk about uh, Walter Cronkite, the yeah. most trusted man in America, who uh, he was big in Operation Mockingbird. Operation Mockingbird, where basically it was a plant by the mm-hmm. government to provide stories that they wanted out to control information in the media. And he, he was the voice of the owl at Bohemian Grove. You're stealing my thunder here. Sorry. Yes, the sorry, voice sorry. of the owl. At, no, you're right. Taking it back. No backward masking <laughs> here. The voice of the owl at Bohemian Grove. Well, even from the grave, the, the mystery keeps on with Walter Cronkite. Right. Uh, oh, but he also was the one who wanted to sit at the right hand of Satan. You remember? Oh, his yes. Own, by his own admission said, there in, if it in takes, video. If, taking world gov- if it takes me sitting at the war- right hand of Satan to achieve world government, then join me. Right, then join me. In fact, if you look up YouTube on World Federalist Society, you should find he gets a Lifetime Achievement Award for Globalism, Walter mm-hmm. Cronkite, yep. by Hillary Clinton. Uh, <clears throat> here's a story that just came out at USA Today. Cronkite records destroyed by FBI. Now, this the same agency that has been reported he may have worked for as an agent providing this information. Mm-hmm. So they would have the files to be able to, to prove this further. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it, it says that... Uh, the FBI destroyed its files on former CBS News anchorman Walter Cronkite two years ago under a policy that has been criticized by researchers for allowing potentially uh, valuable records to be wiped out. A search of the agency's main index of the subjects of FBI investigations found some records tied to Cronkite's name were destroyed in October 2007. The FBI said in response to a Freedom of Information Act by USA Today. Mm-hmm. Cronkite's death in July at age 92 made any FBI files about him unavailable for lease and under federal law. <coughs> Excuse me. They made him available once he uh, died. Uh, the FBI should have preserved records about Cronkite, who anchored CBS's newscast from 62 to 81, said Scott, Scott Hodes, a, top, a former top lawyer in the FBI's records office. All FBI records on such prominent persons should have been saved under the FBI's policies. You're not supposed to destroy records that are historically valuable, Hoda said. Someone should have known who Walter Cronkite was. Walter who? Yeah. <laughs> FBI spokesman Bill Carter said the agency works with the National Archives to try to ensure historically important records are preserved. He did not respond to requests for further information. The destruction of the concrete records illustrates the FBI's policies on keeping and destroying records, which to date to a 1981 lawsuit over public access to those records. Although the FBI's rules call for preserving files with historical significance, researchers such as journalist Alex Hurd have criticized the agency for wiping out too many potentially viable records. The FBI destroyed a file on civil rights pioneer Rosa Parks, the Detroit News reported in 2006. Heard, who was researching a 1951 execution in Mississippi, said he was frustrated to learn uh, that the FBI destroyed records about one of the civil rights lawyers involved. They piled up the documents, and we, the taxpayers, paid for it, Heard said. With a lot of that material, the simplest thing would have been just to keep it. The fact that the FBI had records involving Cronkite doesn't mean the FBI had investigated him, Hoda said. Well, he's on the payroll. 
No, uh, doesn't. Celebrities file get a monthly check. Celebrities files often consist of letters they wrote to FBI officials or investigations of extortion attempts. When famous people's files are released, a lot of times they're victim of crime, so to say. Yeah, except that uh, in this case, another coincidence. Yeah, another coincidence. Coinky dink. Wow, yeah. look at that. How funny. Um, all right, do we want to hear about the cyborg beetle uh, remote controls in flight, or do we want to hear about how the Washington State uh, lifted the limit? I'll do that yeah. while you're talking vaccines. All right, in preparation for swine, this is from the Seattle Times. In preparation for swine flu vaccinations next month, Washington's Health Department on Thursday temporarily, temporarily suspended a rule that limits the amount of a, uh, of a mercury preservative in vaccines should uh, given to pregnant women and children under the age of free, three. So basically, there's no limit now. It's like, you know, you can bust a it's it's all, all, mer all mercury with a little bit of vaccine in it. No, it would just be all mercury. Okay. It'd be like, this is the H1N1 vaccine. And then they walk over and bust the end off the mm -hmm. thermometer and jab it in your arm. Oh, okay. You're like, okay, so no, no yep. limitation. The preservative thymiserol has never been linked to any health problems. <laughs> what? <laughs> I remember. That's why I wanted to read this. I forgot. I'll read that again. Here's the Secretary of Health for, uh, uh, I guess, Seattle. Uh, the preservative thymiserol has never been linked to any health problems, said Secretary of Health Mary Selecki, but a vocal minority believes the compound could be linked to autism. Do you think we should call Mary Selecki on air and see if we could actually get a big thermoserol filled syringe and stick it in her? She could put her money where her mouth is. I'd love to do we that. We could actually. like just squirt that in her and mm -hmm. ask her how it feels. The state legislature adopted the limit in 2006. Thermoserol has been eliminated from most vaccines in the United States in the testing. Uh, but it will be added to the bulk of the swine flu vaccine being produced to stem oh, a pandemic. Coming back. Health officials estimate could sicken more than a third of the state's residents. Uh, pregnant women and young children are considered at high risk for swine flu, and lifting the mercury limits will give them quicker access to the vaccine. It's vital that everyone in a high-risk group has the choice to be vaccinated when swine flu vaccine mm. becomes available, she said. These sadists really want to give it to pregnant women and little children because... They like really hurting him. Well, you know what really makes me mad is there are less than 150 words in this in this thing. It doesn't mm -hmm. even take up half a page, and there's at least there's at least one bald-faced lie, one uh, 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 one bald-faced lie, and one piece of misdirection, and that's mm -hmm. like half over half the article. Yeah. You know they're very efficient in their lying per for linear. I got to hand it to I got to hand it to uh, Miss Selecki. Mm -hmm. she's, she's concise. She's wow. Probably gets paid very well for that. Yes. She's want to want to just cleanse the palate a little bit here. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> I want to read about I the go to Iceland Southern Poverty Law Things Center. aren't bad. I highly recommend <laughs> you listen next week to that because yeah, uh, you're going to find out that God's still doing His thing. Put it that way. God is doing okay. His thing. All right, <clears throat> in a good way. Okay, this is uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, Center insinuates Alex Jones and Infowars with mobilizing armed insurrection. Uh, <clears throat> after Infowars and Prison Planet reported on the Department of Homeland Security's quote right-wing extremism report earlier this year, and the story went mega viral on the Internet and was subsequently picked up by the corporate media. This is, this is from the Infowars site. Yeah. 
often with the usual dismissive caveats, it was discovered the agency had based much of its research on reports generated by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League. That's mm-hmm. the Jewish Anti-Defamation League. Mm-hmm. Okay, ADL. Mm-hmm. The Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, was also instrumental in the Missouri Information Analysis Report, MIAC report. The Mayak story went public after an anonymous source in the Missouri State Police provided Alex Jones with a report characterizing Ron Paul and Chuck Baldwin. Um, Chuck Baldwin's been on our show a number of times. Yep. Ron Paul's son's been on our show. I'm sure we're on a list somewhere. As extremists and their supporters as terrorists. The SPLC has attempted to link Alex Jones to the shooting of police officers in Pittsburgh. Uh, that Maybe they should dust for fingerprints rather yeah. and see if that's... Uh, the SPLC has lately made a cottage industry out of maligning members of the Patriot and Constitutionalist movements. After it was discovered, accused cop killer Richard Poplowski posted on Infowars, along with millions of other people, I might say. Yeah, but he was actually he actually uh, uh, like was angry at Alex Jones. I recall he was not yeah, pro yeah. Al. Right, he was because Alex Jones won't play the violent thing. Yeah, but it's free. Anybody can get on there and post. Yeah. The SPLC and a handful of writers, in particular uh, Dennis B. Roddy of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, attempted Mm -hmm. to forge a link between Poplowski and Alex Jones. Okay. As Alex Jones has pointed out on numerous occasions, Poplowski did indeed post on InfoWars. It was because they have an open forum. Anybody can get online and just comment. Okay, Poplowski. But it was not mentioned by the SPLC or the writers, however, that the comments posted on the site were critical of Jones, nor was it mentioned that Jones does not share Poplowski's racist and anti-Semitic beliefs. The ADL has posted similar articles uh, on its website. The SPLC has a double standard when it comes to comments on websites. And you know, and I just saw a... I just saw a comment from the uh, SPLC today saying that we have to really watch out for independent uh, anybody who believes in the Constitution and anybody who does these, you know, believes in limited government because there's this growing there's this growing mix of uh, extremism and Christianity that mm-hmm. we just, you know, it's got to be stamped out. Mm-hmm. So that should scare anybody. Uh, that should scare yeah. anybody in the sound of my voice, really. We're, we're, we're going in the first truck fall, evidently. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> and, in fact, we haven't threatened anybody. In fact, what we try to do is stop war and violence. Mm-hmm. What we try to do is, is tell Christians we even stop and think about it to knock it off. Yep. Okay. The SBLC has a double standard when it comes to comments on websites. In August, a comment attached to a libelous article on Alex Jones posted on the SBLC website declared that Jones and his ilk should receive a lethal injection or bolt of electricity. By Mr. Roll. In other Please. words, that they be executed by the state simply for espousing political viewpoints that some may disagree with. The comments were made on April 15th by a person calling themselves Hawkeye. The comments have remained on the SBLC website for nearly four months without being removed. Uh, notes Paul Joseph Watson. The SPLC is determined to leak Alex Jones and Infowars to terrorism and right-wing extremism. In fall 2009 issue of SPLC Intelligence Report, Larry Keller takes the SPLC agenda one step further after a rather tedious and long-winded rundown of so-called militia movement fashioned as a domestic terrorist threat by the government and corporate media after the federal massacre of Waco and the murder of Randy Weaver's family, Ruber Widge, Ridge, Ridge. <laughs> Mr. Keller, I'm trying to hurry, Mr. Keller warns against the extremism and putative racism of uh, COINTEL, I see, COINTEL pro-operative Glenn Beck, 
CNN broadcaster Lou Dobbs, and former Nixon speechwriter Pat Buchanan. However, the SPLC's enmity is reserved for Alex Jones. Near the end of the article, Keller writes the following. I'm not going to read all of this here, but... uh, a good illustration of the anti-government patriot movement paranoia was a reaction to the National Guard exercise planned for April in the little town of Arcadia, Iowa. Mm-hmm. The guardsmen had intended to conduct a four-day mock search of an arms dealer. Well, I remember this. Yeah. That would include patrolling the town street, distributing photos of fictional bad guy, and knocking on doors of residents who agreed to participate in the drill. Alex Jones, the radio host and conspiracy theorist. I love conspiracy theorists. That's when they say they believe things that we don't want to talk about. I yep. uh, got wind of the plans and interviewed a National Guard official, setting off an avalanche of angry calls and visits to his website from people who feared the exercise was really about imposing a dictatorship or martial law in a country. Tell them that any violation of your rights will result in a live fire exercise, one such person wrote on Jones's InfoWars website. If they come, come loaded for war. That incident showed how quickly militia enthusiasts now mobilize thanks to the Internet. And then the National Guard rapidly scaled back its planned exercise, although it denied the deluge of complaints had anything to do it. So I just want to conclude here with a comment at the end of the article from somebody who posted. Yeah. Okay, this is somebody who posted a site. And they just mentioned, I took their name, and it says, The Southern Poverty Law Center is an FBI front organization. Lest we forget, an SPLC FBI agent was working within the FBI-controlled neo-Nazi Elohim City compound, the planning and staging area for the Oklahoma City bombing before and during the Oklahoma City Murrow building uh, bombing in 95. The late Robert Miller, the former Elohim City patriarch. He was the head guy who ran it. Yeah, he was the informant, wasn't he? He was a paid FBI informant. Andrea Strassmeyer, a German agent working for the U.S. Justice Department, was also working at Elohim City at the time along with another FBI-protected asset, Dennis Mahan. And that was just an informed uh, person commenting on the site. Mm-hmm. People are getting wise to these people. Yeah. And the Southern Poverty Law Center, I tell you, if you speak anything about them, and particularly the ADL, you are immediately branded a anti-Semitic person. Yep. And you know what? Perfect love casts out fear. And particularly love for the well-being of your fellow neighbors. There you go. And I say we should not walk in fear of these people. We should have a show about them, and we should have people who know who they are and expose them for what they are. Heavy. The the Camp FEMA documentary we just reviewed in our last show mm-hmm. uh, actually has an excerpt from the Anti-Defamation League talking about these Christian people that go, that the Constitution Party, mm-hmm. that they're basically affiliated with right-wing extremists. And they're using this... Um, what, what 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 do they call it? Uh, uh, right wing, uh, you know, demagogue, uh, ex- mm-hmm. separatist, white yep. supremacist is what they call it. Now, they are declaring war on Bible believing Christians. Yeah. They are del- they're they're putting a bullseye on Bible believing Christians. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they want their support from Bible believing Christians. Now, would we be foolish to support a group of people who are trying to get us all hauled up into jail? People One who would- believe in the Bible and f- peaceful. You know, God-loving, people-loving Christians? One would think so, but, um, you know, it hasn't been spoken about on... You may not see me next week. It may be just you doing tomorrow's tremors. Yeah, it's like I might have to I might have to go and be like an international missionary by... <laughs> step that uh-huh. up quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> under a different pseudonym. That yeah. might be Lomryonic yeah. out there. Hey, do you need some help with your uh, church here but, in uh, Cambodia? Enough's enough. Yeah. And that's enough. I, Shine the light on it. You are... You know, if we're going to get hauled off anyway, yeah. might as well put, put the cards on the table. I wish you could look and at I mean all the people I mean this in total listening. Christian love. Yeah. Well, I wish you could look at all the people out there 
instead of me because we're preaching to the choir, bro. Well, I'm, I'm you know what? You. Maybe there's some new people who just happened to turn on the radio today mm-hmm. think we're nuts. I'm sure they and do. All they have to do is go and research all this stuff. But I'll though. tell you what. I get emails every day from people who, for whatever reason, heard something about us, come mm-hmm. over, and when they start hearing a few shows, and that this is all new to them, the stuff, they listen to our whole archive. Awesome. And it has changed their worldview. Awesome. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for it. Yeah, Jesus, please let us not mislead people. Let, don't let us go uh, wrong from your path. Mm-hmm. These are days of deception. These are days of complication. Yep. We need to admit the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, yeah. and we need love and compassion. But uh, when, when evil is trying to do things and they're trying to be deceptive, mm-hmm. we shine the light of truth. And that's what Jesus did when he was here, the light of truth. Word. As, as best as we can in our Fine, say. Word. Anything else you want to... Oh, do we want to hear about the Berkeley DARPA cyborg beetles, or do we want to hear about the Bank of England and an emergency meeting that isn't an emergency meeting except for everybody who's not involved with said emergency meeting? Oh, give us that. we got we got two and a half minutes. Okay, the Bank of England, this is from the Telegraph. The Bank of England has summoned the city's leading economist to an unprecedented meeting on Threadneedle Street as the pound plunges amid growing confusion over its radical, uh, read like Zimbabwe-style or Weimar Germany inflation, uh, quantitative easing That's policy. what's happening in England right now? Yes. Major inflation, huh? Yeah, well, it, it hadn't hit yet, but the whole thing is like they're trying this quantitative easing where they basically print money, and basically okay. they're printing money. It's like it's, you know, people talk about it in economic circles, the the, the helicopter drop money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is sort of what that is, you know? Which will create inflation. Eventually, yeah. yeah. So the pound... The pound is losing massive amounts of value mm-hmm. right now. Uh, the bank will host a seminar of all of London's major economists next Tuesday, the first time it has invited them in mass in recent memory. And what has been construed as a sign that it fears market participants are starting to lose faith in its efforts to pump cash into the economy. Well, that's it. You pump cash into the economy, you lose the, you lose the value of the dollar. You'll notice, actually, when, when economies tank, mm-hmm. um, uh, when there's no – well, when stock markets tank, stock indices tank, mm-hmm. uh, actually the value of currency goes up. But that's another story. The move has also sparked a speculation that is poised to announce a major change in the monetary policy framework, although insiders dismiss such, such suggestions. It came after the minutes from the bank's latest monetary policy committee meeting revealed that the idea of cutting the interest rate banks are paid on the reserves they hold was there was not discussed this month. Which is very interesting. I missed that the first time. It sounds like you're giving shorthand dictation, so what's the bottom line? Uh, others suspect the bank is concerned that many think either QE amounts to printing money, uh, much as Zimbabwe and Weimar Germany did, uh, or that it simply is not working, and the um, currency is reflecting that. So it's getting really bad quickly now. Depends on who you talk to. If you work for the Bank of England, you, this is just routine. Oh, well, okay. why'd you call it an emergency meeting? That's a routine emergency meeting. Okay. I have a lot of routine emergency meetings. I do. I yeah. do too. Um, so I, there you go. I think another theme we could say for today is, like most of our shows, mm-hmm. do not believe a single thing the media tells you, even if they're coming from quote your guys. Yeah. Your guys who investigate, you think are like you and your background. Investigate everything. But I just we, had a long conversation about. Uh, was somebody who was telling me that cops don't, you know, he was telling me, like, look at all those people throwing rocks. I said, mm-hmm. you mean there in that video? Yeah, those are cops at this protest. He yeah. said, they're not cops. And I took the article up, and I said, they're cops. They are cops. Mm-hmm. Just like Hal Turner was an FBI informant. He was a white yes. supremacist that the FBI mm-hmm. tried to get to rile people up yep. to do stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, speaking of riling up, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're in the last... Uh, well, I'm glad you, st- I'm glad you didn't say, well, speaking of paid FBI informants. Yeah, who knows? I, I'm sort of suspicious of Pyro myself. Yeah. He doesn't say much. He doesn't. He's always here. He's all ears. Yeah. He's taking notes in the background most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. We've got a great uh, show next week. I'm sorry you couldn't be there when we recorded. Uh, me too. But you will be back for news yeah, next yeah. week. Oh yeah. Okay. And all your legions of fans, evidently. Yep. Any last words? Let's get out of here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, stay close to the Lord. Study your Bible. Have your heart full of love. Love for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, be wary of institutions, but love your next door neighbor. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake. quake.